everyone, and welcome to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. I am Michael Bradley, and this is episode 20. And this is a big, big episode, folks, and I'm very excited because we will be looking at not one, not two, but three Superman comic books. Uh, Being episode 20 and with the historic issues that we're going to be covering, I really wanted to do things up big. So I scoured the comic book podcasting elite, the cream of the crop, searching for the greatest co-host that I could find to join me. And when they were all busy, I called this guy. (laughs) So let me give a big welcome to Mr. Michael Kaiser. I was waiting for that. (laughs) (laughs) How you doing? Hello, everybody. Good. How are you? I'm all right. Good. Uh, Michael recently started co-hosting a another podcast that I will let him tell you about in just a minute, but he is also my co-host over on Legends of the Batman, and we've been having such a good time over there talking about Batman, so I thought I'd invite him on here and we could spend some time chatting about the other half of the world's finest heroes. Yep. I've known Mike for, I guess it's been more than 10 years now, hasn't it? Yeah, I don't know when we... Uh, I think it's from when we first were moderating on comic boards. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm not sure how far back that goes, but... Well, I've I've been there since... Since before Smallville debuted. Oh, wow, and yeah. It's, and it's weird That's that true. I've been... You know, I marked time by what comics were being published. <laughs> at. Actually, I remember when it was. It was right after the uh, the Jeff Loeb, that, that team... Jeff Loeb and uh, let's see who else was it? J.M. DeMatteis, Mark Schultz, and Joe Kelly. It was right after they did their little uh, re relaunch, revamp, whatever you want to call it. That, okay. That that board started. Yeah, because it used to it used to be a world's finest board or something, didn't it? Right. It was yeah, it was a Superman. And, well, there was there was the world's finest board, and then it split into two boards. Right. So yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So I think I wasn't. I don't think I was around way at that point. But eventually, I showed up and was moderating the the Captain America message board. And I mm-hmm. think you and I co-moderated the battle board for about five minutes once. <laughs> um, were you? I, yeah, I was on there for a little bit, and then I got annoyed with it, so I stopped. Yeah, but yeah, me too. Were you? Were you a co-mod with me there? Yeah, I think so. Huh? I had totally I forgotten both, about that. I think we both foolishly thought we could tackle it, and then quickly decided that it wasn't for us. Yeah. But um, anyway, uh, Mike was a big help back in the days when I was learning PHP, when I had the and and SQL, when I had the now defunct Superman Family Comics Index, and uh, like you said, we used to mod together, and we've kind of kept in touch ever since. Um, And we kind of talked about this on our first episode of the Batman show, but how did you get into comic books? And Um. Well, it's kind of as as far as Superman goes. It's kind of the same story as with Batman. Is I don't really remember, you know, first learning about him right. necessarily. Um, I was born in 1975, so I could probably guess that it was the movie that um, introduced me to the character. But it could have also been, you know, Super Friends or the, you know, one of those cartoons. Um, I've had I have some really early memories of playing Super Mike, so I've known about him a long time. Um, as far as collecting comics uh, regularly, it was I actually started collecting because of Captain America. Um, but as far as 
Superman goes, much like Batman, it was it's always been more about the media outside of comic books. Um, I don't know why it is, but I think with DC, I just I tend to idealize those characters maybe. So watching them with you know through movies or or cartoons is is more in line with my way of thinking than maybe picking up an issue where you know Perry White quit the planet and and Clark Kent is in Africa and Lois Lane is in jail or something like that. You know, um, I just made that up by the way. But anyway, I have collected some Superman. Uh, I was collecting him during the the death of Superman and his return. Uh, primarily, and also when I was uh, around high school, I was a big John Byrne fan, trying to scoop up anything he touched. So, of course, all the Superman Volume Two and Action Comics that he did. Um, and Superman the movie is probably my favorite movie, not just my favorite comic movie, but my favorite movie period. So, um, yeah, I like the character. I can't say that I, I know a lot about his comic books, though. What would you say your favorite Superman story is other than the movie? Oh, geez. Um, well, lately I've really liked uh, All-Star Superman. I know that kind of seems to divide Superman fandom quite a bit, but I really enjoy it um, or enjoyed it. Um, the original, you know, the 80, what is it, 86 Man of Steel mm-hmm. miniseries was, you know, I've reread that quite a few times um um yeah i don't i mean say the golden age stuff (laughs) (laughs) no i'm just kidding yeah definitely actually i have been following along with that since um Mm -hmm. you started this podcast um and i i i don't think i've read them before maybe action comics number one once or twice but um, so that's been interesting to see how he's how he started out. Very different than today. very different, yeah, than what we see in the comics today or even of the last fifty years. Very but, um, much so. Now and they we, and we're always comparing Batman to him, and, and right. So now, now that I'm on the Superman show, I'm going to compare Superman to Batman. And say, <laughs> that, say that Superman definitely starts out different than he ends up. Yes. Whereas to me, it seems like Batman kind of starts out where he ultimately ends up. Right, but then Batman um, takes a huge left turn. Yeah, but um, then he comes back. Right. So so it's just been I don't know if the word easier applies, but it's it's yeah, I guess it's just been easier to read Golden Age Batman in terms of, you know, accepting what you're reading because mm-hmm. you're used because to it. He starts out on the right. right foot, I guess. Yeah. So speaking of, they know about Legends of the Batman because I mentioned that just about every episode but Mm -hmm. tell them about the other show that you just started up and I mean I talked about it a couple episodes ago but tell them for that um yeah I like I said uh Captain America was my primary motivation for collecting comics uh regularly anyway and so John Wilson and I have decided to start a Captain America podcast called The Mighty Shield and not exactly sure how to explain it, but for our first episode, we covered his debut issue, Captain Captain America Comics number one. Um, after that, we're going to be kind of jumping all over the place between Golden Age and Silver Age, uh, maybe doing them both in one episode or doing every other episode. It's, it's going to be a monthly show, but um, hopefully long enough to make it worth the wait. And what's the URL for that? And the URL for that is themightyshield.com. All right. 
And you've only got the one episode out so far, right? Right. Okay, that's all I've heard. But it was I really enjoyed that first episode. It was thanks. Yeah. Kind of a uh, different character than Superman or Batman, but yeah, in some ways kind of similar too. So in some ways he's a lot. He's kind of a combination of both in a way. Mm-hmm. He, you know, one of those guys that always does the right thing, hero's hero. That's the Superman aspect, and then you know you get to have all the fun fighting. Right. Just the Batman aspect, so yeah. Superman really doesn't fight, you know, especially these Golden Age stories. He really doesn't, because there's no one that's as strong right. as him. He's normally just throwing people around. So yeah, they haven't created a a villain to match his strength yet. No, no. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. Hey, John, how's it going? Not bad, Mike. I just want to let you know I really enjoyed the latest episode of Legends of the Batman. You and Michael Bradley are doing great over there. Thanks, man. Now, if I could just get this other podcast rolling for my favorite character. I don't suppose you'd want to hear about it. Me? Do another podcast? I already have shows about my two favorite characters with Amazing Spider-Man Classics and Golden Age Superman, and not to mention co-hosting Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast. There's no way I could do another weekly show. Hmm, well, who said it has to be weekly? Well, even even bi-weekly would still... What about monthly? Monthly? What were you thinking? Well, I already have a Golden Age show going, so I was thinking Silver Age with... Oh, 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 you know what would be cool? A Silver Age Marvel show talking about every Marvel comic book ever that would rock. Yeah, for like ten episodes, but then we'd have so many books going we'd never get anywhere. Yeah, that's probably true. So who were you thinking? When Captain America Captain America? Captain America. I, I, I like Captain America. And there's the movie this year, too, so it'd be perfect. So you're thinking like a monthly show on the Silver Age books? Yeah. Oh, but but what about the Golden Age? Could we could we work that in? Because we both love Golden Age comics, and I've, I've never read a lot of that stuff. It could be fun. Sure, and that first issue of Captain America comics is amazing. We could probably talk for hours about just that issue. I also love the Brubaker stuff, and, you know, he is starting up a new series when the movie comes out. So, Golden Age, Silver Age, and Modern? Well, if it's monthly. I like it. Okay, cool. So, when and where are we doing this? Let's meet once a month at TheMightyShield.com and on iTunes for The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast to cover every Captain America adventure from the Golden Age, the Silver Age, and today. So like I said, this episode, we are going to be looking at three comics, Action Comics number 13, Superman number 1, and Action Comics number 14. And we're going to do things just a little bit different this episode, because normally I spend a great amount of time with the synopsis and then just have a few brief comments afterwards. But since it's not just me this time, we're going to run through the synopses real quick and then have an extended discussion period. Uh, But Mike's going to handle the lowdown on the first issue, so... Take it away. Okay, we got Action Comics number 13, like you just said, which uh, was cover dated June 1939, approximately released on May 2nd of 1939 with a cover price of 10 cents and edited by uh, Vince Sullivan. And on the cover, we have a 
Joe Schuster Superman, who is standing on a railroad track and stopping a train with one hand. Um, it's actually a really pretty cool cover. Yes. It's my um, favorite Superman cover so far, other than Action Comics number one. I can see that, yeah. But we've only had four covers, so there's not really a lot. But still, it's a very cool cover. The only thing missing is like a, a female, you know, tied up on the Tied track. up on the railroad. Well, he's stopping it from going into the water. Because see, the tracks oh. are all busted up. You know, I didn't even notice that. You're right. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Oh, uh, there you go. Glenn Orbeck painted an, an homage to this cover on Legends of the DC Universe number two from sometime in the 90s. I don't remember the year right offhand. I actually, I actually remember that. Mm-hmm. That popped out on the stands pretty good. Yeah, and the story in that issue is part two of a three-part story by James Robinson that introduced a character that was pretty clearly inspired by the villain of this story that we're just about ready to discuss, but not in a way that I could concisely explain without confusing people or spoiling the story. So I'm just going to skip it now, but it's really good. Uh, the art is by Val, I think it's pronounced Semix. Semix? Uh, anyway. And Paul Neary. And even if you weren't a fan of James Robinson's run on Superman recently, I encourage you to check out the, the three-parter from Legends of the DC Universe because I really enjoyed it. And Paul Neary was the guy doing the art chores on Cap when I got into that book. So. Oh, okay. Big Paul Neary fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and the caption on this uh, cover reads, In this issue, another thrilling adventure of Superman. Hey! Hey! So they're plugging our podcast, yeah. or your podcast, I should yeah. say. Um, 75 or 70 years ago, they were <laughs> they, anticipating this show. Right, right. So on the inside, we have a 13-page story featuring the guy we're here to discuss, Superman, and it's called, eventually called Superman versus the Cab Protective League. The Cab Protective League. Let's say that again. <laughs> That's not easy to say out loud. No. Um, and it's by written by Jerry Siegel and pencils by Joe Schuster and Paul Cassidy with inks by Joe Schuster. Um, and I got the Paul Cassidy from the Grand Grand Comics database. I don't know if they actually have a question mark next to his name when they when they list it too. So I don't know if he actually helped out on this or not. But yeah, these Golden Age credits, especially for the Superman stories, because they had the Schuster shop where there was a lot of artists, you know, working and. Yeah. No one exactly knows what, when they were there and working for Schuster, so it can be, it's all guesswork, really. Yeah, in any case, he wasn't credited, but, um, oh, yeah. All right, so we open with a half panel of Superman picking up a cab over his head with one hand as the driver inside looks down at him with alarm. And the caption reads Friend of the helpless and oppressed is Superman, a man possessing the strength of a dozen Samsons, lifting and rending gigantic weights, vaulting over skyscrapers, racing a bullet, possessing a skin impenetrable to even steel, are his physical assets used in his one-man battle against all evil and injustice. And I assume that might be slightly different than it has been. This one, this particular caption was used in Action Comics number 7 mm. and the New York World's Fair comic, which I just covered last episode. But it's fun to have to constantly rewrite them. A, new, a yeah. new way to say that every month. Yeah. Um, all right, so then the story cuts to a cab transporting Daily Star reporter Clark Kent to work, which is suddenly slammed into by another cab, 
The driver of the hit cab gets out and confronts the other driver, accusing the man of ramming his car on purpose. In the response, I'm sorry, in response, the other driver punches him and tells him to prove it. Clark asks his driver why the man deliberately ran into them, and the driver explains that the other man's a part of the Cab Protective League, an organization that is trying to victimize the independent cab companies. That evening in his apartment, Clark Kent decides that the Cab Protective League, hereby known as CPL, because I don't want to keep saying that over and over again, uh, is just the sort of setup he likes to break down, and changes into Superman before jumping out his window. Jumping from rooftop to rooftop, he makes his way through the city and comes upon an independent cab company called the Carlisle Cab Co. Looking through the skylight from the roof, he sees a member of the CPL harassing the Carlisle Cab Company's owner, demanding that his company join the league or else, or else being a gun as the thug draws on Carlisle, who continues to refuse to join despite the threat of murder. Superman, having seen enough, crashes through the skylight and steals the henchman's gun quicker than the eye can follow, pinching the barrel closed with his fingers. In retaliation, the thug lunges at Superman, but only manages to knock himself out when he accidentally runs his face into Superman's elbow of steel. <laughs> Tucking the unconscious thug under his arm, Superman assures Carlyle that he no longer has to worry about being threatened by the CPL, and then leaps through the skylight, the racketeer still imprisoned under his arm. Superman leaps his way across town, heading towards CPL headquarters, but just before he can land safely on its rooftop, the thug he is car carrying like a sack of potatoes awakens and, panicking, draws a knife from his person and breaks it over Superman's face. Unhurt but startled, Superman looses his trajectory and slams into the side of the building, dropping the thug, who falls to his death on the front steps of the CPL at the front steps of CPL at the feet of his cohorts. As Superman keeps hit, hidden from view inside CPL headquarters, two men panic over the thug's apparent suicide and wonder if he at least fulfilled his assignment before he died and got old man Carlyle to join the league. The head honcho, named Reynolds, decides to find out and calls Carlyle directly, who promptly tells Reynolds and all his CPL cohorts to take a flying leap. That response not going over well with Reynolds, he and his buddy decide to pay Carlisle another, another visit, but as they get in their cab to take off, they find the cab is mysteriously not willing to move as Superman, having overheard the entire phone conversation, decides to hold onto its bumper. Getting out of the car to try and figure out what's going on, Reynolds and his cohort are amazed as Superman picks the empty car up over his head and makes his presence known. Tearing the cab apart with his bare hands in front of them, he then lunges for the thugs, who instantly surrender. Deciding that's not good enough, Superman orders the thugs to beat on their own cabs with a couple of sledgehammers. As the villains go to work, Superman overturns one of the cabs with his super strength, and Reynolds attempts to escape while Superman is distracted. But Superman easily catches the bad guys, but easily catches the bad guy, throws him across the room, and orders him to get back to work. Superman then proceeds to smash the CPL's entire automobile collection, which causes quite a bit of noise, causing a nearby resident to report the disturbance to the police. The police arrive on the scene just in time to witness Reynolds pleading to Superman for his life, arguing that it wasn't him who killed all those independent cab drivers. He just gave the orders. Satisfied that the police have heard Reynolds' confession, he leaves by crashing through a brick wall as the police futilely attempt to stop him by shooting him in the back, their bullets bouncing harmlessly off Superman's steel skin. The next day, the papers read, Cab Racketeer receives strong 
Sentence by Clark Kent. Cut to the police driving Reynolds through the woods on the way to prison. Reynolds asks his keepers if they can if he can smoke. Unfortunately for the for the police, they agree, because Reynolds' cigarette smoke turns out to be a deadly gas, which renders the police unconscious. Dumping the bodies, Reynolds escapes with their car. Cut to Clark Kent reading the final edition, whose headline states, Reynolds escapes, captors gassed. Super annoyed that the villain he just captured has already escaped, Clark decides Superman should do something about it. Arriving on the scene where the cops' unconscious bodies were found, Superman leaps around hoping to spot a clue as to Reynolds' whereabouts and finds one when he spies the abandoned vehicle next to a dark cabin hidden deep in the woods. Crashing through the roof of the cabin, Superman's fi- Superman finds Reynolds sitting in a chair, curiously at ease despite Superman's appearance. Before Superman can snatch up the villain, Reynolds halts him by pointing to the door behind Superman. As Superman whirls, the door opens and reveals a bald guy in a lab coat sitting in a wheelchair. The mysterious man introduces himself as Ultra-Humanite and reveals to Superman that he is behind the CPL, as well as numerous other evil organizations, all in an attempt to take over the world. He then warns Superman that, though Superman is surely stronger, he is no match for his intelligence, as a scientific experiment has given him the most agile and learned brain on Earth. Not daunted in the slightest, Superman steps towards the ultra-humanite, but it is immediately electrocuted by a portion of the floor that was secretly lined with enough electricity to kill 500 men. Shocked that he is not dead, the men then tie Superman's unconscious body to an industrial table saw, attempting to slice him in half. But this backfires and the saw breaks into pieces, one piece flying through the air and slicing Reynolds in the throat. The ultra-humanite decides that escape is now the new plan and calls his thugs to carry him out of the cabin and orders them to light the place on fire before escaping in a getaway plan. plane. Superman revives and finds himself surrounded by smoke. Easily escaping his bonds, he leaves the cabin by crashing through the wall. He then leaps into the air and crashes into the ultra-humanite's getaway plane, destroying the propeller and sending the plane crashing to the ground. Inspecting the wreckage, Superman finds no trace of ultra-humanite's body and wonders to himself if he has seen the last of this nefarious villain. The end. The end. Very awesome. Yeah. It kind of went a... uh, a 180 on me. Um, you know, it started out just sort of a, you know, low-key racketeering thing. And uh-huh. Suddenly it's all about a supervillain. Right. Not not quite the way they introduce villains today, really, at all. No. But I like the, uh, the opening panel of this story. Um, I want to say... <laughs> Or Steve, I, I was gonna say it reminds me of Steve Rude's art, but that's kind of backwards because, you know, this was first. But Steve Rude draws a, a very similar. Superman. Yes, very, very and, much so. And I've always liked that take, like a just classic. He's like a, you know, he's he's muscled and he's good looking, but he's not overly huge. Right, not like, you know, like roided up, you know, bodybuilder. Right, right, right. right. I like Superman to look just, you know, like a regular guy not a regular guy but not not towering over you either right all that's missing though on this last panel is you know superman ripping his shirt open and a bud collier coming in with a this looks like a job for superman yeah it's a very relaxed uh 
panel it's, uh, where he's just kind of sitting on the bed holding his slipper. Or his yeah, slipper. yeah. He, he just goes home and he waits till the evening and then goes home and just casually takes his shoes off. and. Yeah. And that's but weird. I, I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. I do like seeing when Clark is, um, you know, he's not reporter Clark Kent and he's not being Superman. He's kind of being himself uh-huh. at home. You know, he doesn't have to wear the glasses or slick his hair back or anything. He's just relaxing. I always like those moments because you don't see him very often. He's right. either playing one part or another. Right. Um, it's weird, though, that he would go home. I mean, we're seeing him go home to change here again. But we've seen in Action Comics number 9 that he wears his suit, the Superman suit, underneath his normal clothes. So, it's you know, they're yeah. not being real consistent on that. But then again... It's not a, an imminent threat, so maybe he just waited till he got off work. I... Or it was laundry day or something. Or it was laundry day, right. Yeah, they haven't really... Uh... Sometimes they get... I, I've noticed with the with our Batman podcast, they get an idea, but then they don't necessarily run with it right, right off the bat. So maybe they're still playing around with how this works. On page two, though, I love Siegel's writing. Uh, it's very descriptive of Superman leaping through the night and just very mm-hmm. colorful. Uh, though to be fair, these he used very similar lines back in Action Comics number seven, but still oh. it's very descriptive as him as he leaps from rooftop to rooftop, like you said. Yeah, and this reminds me of all those, you know, Batman swinging on a on a rope. Right. We've been talking about. Lately. Yes. Uh huh. I don't know if that's just a thing where you have to show the superhero and how he travels because. They travel really amazing, or I guess so. <laughs> it seems to eat up panels. Yeah, um, but it is pretty cool. Yeah, and the description's really nice. You said it eats up panels, though, but here, in some of those earliest Batman stories, it really felt like they were taking a large amount of time to uh-huh. show Batman getting from one place to the other, and maybe that was just because they were shorter. Well, at the beginning. I know, especially when they got extra pages. Yeah, it seemed like suddenly they they didn't know how to tell a story in more than six pages, so we have to fill it with <laughs> him jumping around and laughing right. things. Right. Um, but here it's only four pages, so it does. Or excuse me, four panels. <laughs> four panels. Yeah, it's so not that it, bad. It's yeah, it's. It just reminded me of of that same idea. Right. But it's pretty succinct here. Um, but it is. I don't know if it doesn't really explain exactly like if he's purposely going to this Carlisle company or if he was just running around looking for the next cab company he could find <laughs> and happened to come across one being terrorized by the CPL. Um, that's a good point. It's just a minor quibble on my part. I didn't know if maybe the the cab driver who was originally driving him was from the Carlisle company or could have been. It seems like he's just running around. He's he's got his like his hand over his eyes, like he's just looking for any old building will do. Right. On the first page, it, the uh, the cab driver says that he that they're out to victimize independent companies. Right. And then over here, it points out that Carlisle Cab is an independent company. Correct. But, but you're right. There's probably more than one independent company in this yet to be named city. So. It seems like he's just looking for whichever one he can find first. He got lucky. And then that one just happened to have a guy there, right? Causing trouble. Um, but Car Carlisle is a. Uh, I like it when, when uh, you know, 
I don't know what to call them. They're not supporting characters, but you know, guest characters are <laughs> are overly brave. Yeah. Um, you know, because the superhero gets to be heroic all the time, but it's kind of neat when regular human beings. Right. It's kind of showing that they can stand up for themselves a little bit. Superman yeah. doesn't always need to be. I mean, he would have died if Superman wasn't there. Oh, but... probably. Yeah, the the thug would have shot him, but. <laughs> but at least he wasn't cowering and you know begging for his life or anything. Right. And now on page three, we get the first time. Yeah, it's there here in the second panel. This is the first time we've seen the S on Superman's cape in the comics. Okay. A, we first saw it in the newspaper strip on the April fourth, nineteen thirty-nine strip, which was in the. I want to say the fifth storyline. Mm-hmm. So are, those strips are black and white, right? Right. So in this, in this particular panel, anyway, the red, the S is completely red, just like the cape. Right. Um, where usually it's yellow, right? Traditionally, yeah, it's yellow. Yeah. All yellow. Or not there at all. Or not there at all. Uh, are you but, Are you a fan of the S on the cape? Or yes, a, very or, much so. Okay. Yes. It, I know it wasn't there to begin with, but it just, it's become part of the costume to me, you know, mm-hmm. as much as the trunks or the boots or the cape itself. So, yeah. Yeah, it works for me too. I like it. But um, yeah, throughout this this storyline though, it's colored various ways. It's colored all red, or all yellow, or sometimes yellow with a red S, like on his chest. So. Yeah, his chest is colored those exact same ways too so right yeah so they're not, they're not real consistent and I think a lot of that owes to just the coloring process of the time mm-hmm. they, they couldn't get the real f- smaller details of the yeah. of the things so they should have made the S bigger they should have made the S bigger it'll grow huh. yeah yeah it's funny to me how I mean both Superman and Batman the, the chest logo is so minuscule mm-hmm. in these early issues and it just becomes this huge presence for them right in the future, well, nowadays it's it's the symbol of the character. I mean, it's the symbol yeah. then too. But it's when you yeah. look at the costume, that is what you see: the, the giant S, need. or right, right, or the bat, or mm-hmm. I was gonna make a Wonder Woman comment, but um, well, depends on who's drawing her. Sometimes <laughs> a WW in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to uh, get back to the story, Superman's been using a lot of. He's been making a lot of use of his speed in recent stories, outracing bullets, and you know, or here he just whips out and grabs the gun from the guy. Right. And I think that must have been a power that Siegel really liked using. Yeah, because he's a he's all the way across the room when the guy pulls the gun out. Right. And then suddenly he's just in front of him, and then he crimps it with his finger. Mm-hmm. Is that the first time he's done that? The barrel crimping, because that's kind of a Superman staple. You know, it might be. He he grabbed. He's grabbed bullets out of the midair before, but I don't know that he's ever actually crunched a gun. Um, I would have to look back. I'm gonna say it might be, actually. Now that I think about it. Well, in any case, Pete here is a huge idiot because if someone moved across the room at the speed of light and you know crimped my gun, I don't think I. would the next step for me would be to punch him in the face, but no, no, and we've seen <laughs> we've seen villains uh, do that before. It doesn't really, yeah. Uh, that's a very uh, Adventures of Superman 
reaction to yes where you know they unload their guns on him and then if that doesn't work let's just throw the gun at him right yeah just somehow that would be stronger (laughs) than a bullet right but as we can see uh pete's not too bright is his name pete i think so that's what i have in my notes but Okay, we'll call him Pete. That's good enough. I think I, they call him Pete later when they're talking about whether he committed suicide or not. Oh, that's right, because they say, where's Pete? That's right. Okay. But anyway, as we see, Pete's not too bright anyway because he ends up knocking himself out yeah. on Superman's elbow, though I kind of like that. I like that a lot. I like when – yeah, because I could just picture Superman kind of just standing there. <laughs> this guy comes running at him, and he's just like, okay. It reminded me of that you know, that bad vibrations moment in uh, – yeah. Not that the guy knocked himself out, but he's just standing there like, right. You, you guys have no way of stopping me. Exactly. Yeah. And then on the next page, Pete wakes up and his first reaction is to stab the guy that's holding him yeah. in midair. So yeah, that's don't learn. No. No. Okay, so I had a thing on this. Okay. But I'll tell you all right, right up front, I never took physics or whatever science this applies to, but He's not flying yet, right? He's still just a jumper. Technically, yeah. According to the captions, anyway. Right, right. Uh-huh. Um, so if you were Superman and you leaped from point A to point B, is there anything Pete could do to you that would stop you from hitting point B? I mean, just because you get startled, does that mean your your trajectory is now Well, if he... Lost? If he... Because you can't stop in midair. No. If he... If he wrestled around enough, he could stop the momentum okay. or slow it down enough. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it depends on where he was initially trying to land. Right. Um, but it seemed to me more like a, of, a, of a flight characteristic where, you know, he's moving through the air, then Pete hits him and he comes to a stop in a way. But then on the other hand, he doesn't save Pete from falling to his death, so let's just assume he can't fly. Did he stop? I'm I'm sorry, I'm confused. Well, I don't, he stopped. I don't. I'm not saying he stopped, but it just okay. looks like he kind of stopped. Oh, I think that's just an art problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um. Yeah. But it's it's interesting to see that that at this point Superman can be knocked off his knocked off his guard if you if you uh hit, try right. hard enough. Uh, last Action Comics number 12, he was hit by a car, and it didn't hurt him, but it sent him tumbling down the hillside, and then he recovered and went after the people. So, Well, Superman only weighs, you know, 200-something pounds, right? right? So there should be a way to knock him over if he's not paying attention. Right. Now, I think if he knew – if he knows something's coming and he doesn't want to be moved, his muscles will – you know, brace the impact and mm-hmm. he won't move. But I think if he was minding his own business and not and not paying attention, that even you and I could maybe shove him over if he's <laughs> shut him out a window. If he uh, if he's not, you know, looking. But. Right. But sometimes, you know, as we get farther and and the powers grow, we're gonna get to a point where, you know, we'll hit him with a car and he's not paying attention and it'll just dent the car. Right. So well, that could be just muscle reflexes also. In yeah, it fact, could be. He's ridiculously yeah. strong. Who knows? But but as yeah. they're falling, I think Superman could have saved this guy if he really wanted to because we've seen him do similar type saves in the past. Yeah. It's but. a pretty cool fall, though. I like that the panel, <laughs> they're, they're both kind of tumbling out of control. Even Superman's like yeah. on his back and 
flailing around. I, I guess he snags onto a window frame or something. That's um, what it looks like, yeah. And, uh, yeah, poor Pete. Very gruesome death. Yes. Where's Pete? Wham! Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he lands on his head. Uh-huh. Snaps uh, his neck, yeah. But Superman's reaction is kind of similar to Batman's in his Batman's reaction to Alfred Stryker's death in Detective Comics number 27. It's just a fitting in for his kind. So. Yeah. He just deserves it. These Golden Age heroes didn't mess around. If he hadn't tried to stab me, he'd be alive right now. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Let's go have lunch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. <sighs> But I think it's it's kind of weird that Pete's cohorts here were just like, you know, one of them's like, why did he commit suicide? The other one's like, who cares? He do his job. And I'm just thinking, really? There's no care? I'm not saying you have to, you know, miss the guy, but... They're evil. They don't care. But it doesn't seem suspicious to me. Why would he... I don't know. I think I would investigate that a little more. At least go to the roof and see if there's anybody up there pushing him or something. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, yeah, they must see death all the time. Oh, well, these villains, they're not too bright anyway. Yeah, it's not just Pete. But these guys, they call... What is it here? Is it? Are they calling Carlisle again? Yep, Carlisle. Okay, yeah, they call Carlisle again. And they introduce themselves as the name of their organization. Yeah. So, I don't It just didn't seem too subtle or bright to me. No. But on this page, there's a very... It doesn't have anything to do with anything story-wise, but on the art, you see... uh, See, and they went through a sixth panel. You Uh see the desk drawer that's open a little bit. I just dig that kind of detail because it gives the impression of of a used office rather than Schuster just drawing rectangles and lines indicate where a desk or a dresser is yeah uh, there was one story several issues ago where Clark was in his apartment or bedroom whatever it is changing and you saw his glasses laid on his desk or his dresser yeah. I'm sorry and I just thought that was a nice detail that a lot of artists might have overlooked so Schuster, Schuster is um, does he you don't find that he uh you know, repeats himself as much as say Bob Kane or no, not no. not near as much as Bob Kane. No, I mean you might catch a panel here and there, but it's not like Kane where he has three or four poses and just uses them for the whole story. So just tracing them over and over again. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And then on page six, we have more indication that these guys are morons because how do they not see a guy in a blue and red costume standing behind their car holding yeah. the bumper. He must be squatting down or something. Um, St- still, though, you've got the guy in the green jacket looking straight back. Yeah. So I don't... Yeah, that's just a wonky... And it's like a... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. They should be able to see him, probably. Yeah. But I do like that, What you know, they're, they're like, get him, kill him, and they shoot, and it doesn't work, and he's like, okay... Now for you two, and they're just like, okay, we give up. Yeah. Finally, there's some intelligence. Yeah, Superman kind of likes to toy with his, uh, with the villains a little bit before taking them in, or you know, giving them their just desserts. I guess you should say. Well, you know, he's got a a lot of super feats to show off. So. Yeah, yeah, fun stuff. 
Uh, page seven, I got a big laugh out of Superman making them destroy the cars. Yeah. Rather than just tearing them up himself. That was a little evil, but <laughs> I like it. It's weird, though, because Superman usually takes a great amount of delight in doing the property destruction himself. Yeah, I mean, well, was... I think he eventually joins in, so I guess he couldn't stand watching them do it. Right. Specifically. Right. You're not doing it right. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, even the just smashing all the cars is kind of mean, but I guess that's the super, you know, the Superman we've been reading now for mm-hmm. the last 13 issues. But Well, he destroyed an entire <laughs> a couple of, um, uh, see, it be yeah, in Action Comics number 12, he destroyed an entire automobile manufacturing plant yeah. just to convince people they should drive safer. So, right, right. <laughs> He's not he is not subtle man, he's Superman. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it's cool to, you know, get to read the super feeds because both of the podcasts that I do are about guys that are, you know, just in really good shape. Mm-hmm. Well and Captain America's got his super soldier serum. Yes, he's but he... strong, but he's not Superman strong. Right. You know, he's not gonna tear up cabs. Right. Um so it's fun to to get a page of, of Superman throwing cars Just around. Tearing stuff up, yeah. Page 8, this is the first mention we've gotten that the CPL was killing people. And I would have liked to have seen that mentioned earlier in the story, because until now, yeah. I just thought they were roughing people up and smashing cars. Yeah, I think the guy initially said um, that he they victimize independent companies. Right. Which isn't quite the same as, you know, kill people. Right. That's that's quite a bit different. Yeah. Right. Right. So. It seemed more like a protection racket or something. Um, You know, join our club or we vandalize you. Right. That kind of thing. But yeah, murder is pretty extreme. Um, Although he did look like he was going to gun down Carlisle. I I guess we could assume that was just a threat, but. Yeah. Still. And we also have a panel here with Superman with yellow boots being miscolored. Mm, I'm sure that happens all the time. Yeah. That even happens in cartoons. <laughs> right. Uh, but I like how Superman, as he's leaving, he just smashes through the wall. And uh, I, I never get tired of seeing Superman smash through the wall. So this is fairly um, – well, okay. I, the problem I have with, with uh, you know, being a, a, a guest host is that while I have listened to your show – from the beginning, I'm you know I'm just listening. I don't have to regurgitate any of that knowledge, so right. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily memorize as well as I do with shows where I'm actually having to pay attention and and talk about them every month or week. But um, I don't recall the police having a huge problem with Superman in in your past episodes, and yet right here they seem to not oh, like yeah. him at all. Yeah, yeah, he was he was a wanted man when he okay. tore through the slums and tore down the oh. tenements. Right. And then they had that entire next issue where the uh, 99% – or excuse me, 100% Riley was trying to track him down. That was okay. Action Comics number nine, I think. Yeah, well, I guess if you tear down a you know a block, that's probably right. grounds for police to come after So, yeah, he's not exactly on friendly speaking terms with the police. And he never really stops and just talks to him and says, hey – I'm trying to help you guys or anything even he just no they just shoot at him and he runs off so 
Well, he's kind of anti-establishment at this point. Oh, so. yeah, very much so. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that changes to him being, you know, the face of <laughs> of the system <laughs> right. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but on the, the end of this page, we get a newspaper headline transition, and uh, Siegel's been using this technique a lot in the daily strips to either bring readers up to speed or skip over a significant amount of time, but this is the first time we've seen it used in the comics, uh, both here and on the next page. So I just thought yeah. that was interesting to point out. Well, in this one I can I can piece together, but I think the next one I had a hard time figuring out what, what piece what together. Exact, you know, because they cut the sentence off in the panel. Cab Racketeer receives Strong sentence. Strong sentence. So that one I figured out, but or maybe it was Action 14. Could be. There's a. We'll get to it. But there was a newspaper headline that I was thinking, why are why aren't they showing me more of this text? So that I can actually, <laughs> you know, understand what it says. But I guess you get the idea anyway. Yeah. And on page nine, the police officers are taking Reynolds to Sing Sing, which is a New York State prison. At this right. point, Metropolis has not yet been named. But the two previous references to Superman City have been Cleveland. And this is the first time we get a reference to Superman operating out of New York. So I thought that was there, worth bringing up. There was no up. Manhattan reference? No, you're thinking of Batman. I'm thinking of Batman. You're thinking okay. of Batman. Cleveland, huh? All right. Cleveland. Because in Action Comics number two, when he was in the foreign country, he sent his story back to the evening news in Cleveland. And then later, the oil rig story, he called, or the uh, the villain of the piece, I'm sorry, called back to his home office in Cleveland. So. So do they ever explain, or not explain, but has there ever been any information as to why DC went the the fictional city route, or that was just that just I don't know. progression for some reason? Well, I know with Batman, they. They were going to use New York originally, mm-hmm. and then they switched over to Gotham because they didn't want to use the real city. They right. wanted a fictional city. But as for Superman, I'm not – I'm embarrassed to say I don't really know why they went with the fictional metropolis rather than a New York or a Cleveland. Or, but I will, I I'll actually look into you, that. It gives you the freedom to put what you want in the city. Yeah, there's that without, too. Yeah. Without people writing in saying New York doesn't have that street right. or whatever. Yeah. Personally, I kind of like the fictional cities because like you said, you don't have that quote-unquote realism in the back of your mind thinking, "Oh, that's not right" or, you know, it doesn't really take you out of the story. Right. But, you know, I've enjoyed yeah, Spider-Man stories and, and he's set in New York, so. Right. There's pros and cons to both, but Right. I do like the fictional cities. Um you know, with Marvel, it not only is it not fictional, but it seems like everybody's in New York. So New York is like the superhero <laughs> capital of the world or something. Right. Um, you could spread it out a little bit, but <laughs> oh well. But then I thought you would enjoy this because it seems Siegel is having the same problems as Gardner Fox did with how gases are distributed. Yeah. Because the police officers are knocked out very quickly, but yet Reynolds is completely unaffected. And he's right there smoking the cigarette, so, or the like, cigar. I think the golden age rule is if you're the one administering the gas, then you don't get. You are impervious. Out. Yeah. Even if you're in the exact same situation as the victims. Yeah. So then we get another newspaper headline that says Reynolds get, or excuse me, Reynolds escapes, captured, gassed, officers' bodies 
something, thinking something. left roadside, yeah, and then yeah. police comb something. Mm-hmm. But um, in the next panel, Clark says, "Poison gas." That seems just a little too ingenious for Reynolds to have figured out for himself, and that's exactly what I was thinking because Reynolds yeah. isn't smart enough to have a exploding cigar, so or resourceful enough to right, right, to get one. Yeah. But I like how Clark is just kind of chilling out here with his feet up on the desk, like you said, just just kind of hanging out. And I, I like the way, um, you know, they do it very quickly in two panels. Superman finds Reynolds, but I like that it was based on some sort of investigation where he he went to the scene of the crime mm-hmm. and then just hoped that he could find the car from a bird's eye point of view, you know, jumping around the forest or the woods. Right. Um, that's, as opposed to, you know, just driving around the city and finding Reynolds walking around or, <laughs> or you know, <sighs> yeah, well, if does it. <laughs> had Gardner Fox written this, I'm sure he would have just seen Reynolds walking down the street. But Right. So, but, uh, but a good thing that Reynolds was in that that house because since he just smashed through the wall, yeah, just smashes right through the roof. <laughs> Does he have? I see. Here's another thing I can't remember. Does he have a X-ray vision at this point? Or yes. Okay, but he just decides not to use it here. Well, Siegel was real inconsistent with his powers. I mean, he's got X-ray and telescopic at this point. X-ray was introduced back in Action Comics number eleven. And Telescopic was in Action Comics number two, actually. So. Okay. No, no, no. That's not right. Telescopic was Action, action Comics number 12. I'm sorry. Okay. Or. No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I gotta write these down. I know my history. Telescopic was first used in the second storyline from the dailies, which oh, okay. I covered in episode 12. Okay. Yeah, that's what it was. So. But anyway, he's got both of those at the same point, or at this point, but Siegel just wasn't real consistent in using them uh, in the stories. So, Yeah. That's how we get Superman just making a guess. Hope I guess I'm right. Smash. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, oh, well. But again, we have more of uh, this, this descriptive writing that I love for Siegel as the ultra-humanite makes his first appearance, and it says... The fiery eyes of the paralyzed cripple burn with terrible hate, hatred, and sinister intelligence. Yeah, that's just awesome. Um, so, to me, having you know not really got into DC other than post crisis, um, the ultra humanite is a big walking monkey with you know suspenders. Right. Um, not this guy here. So, it was this the uh, like the precursor to Lex Luthor or? Something along those lines. They kind of seem similar to me, other than the wheelchair. Precursor as in, like, uh, version one, or... Yeah, I guess. I mean, or it seems like they took this guy's traits and just made a Lex Luthor. Um, yeah, you could kind of say that. I don't know that... I don't know that Siegel intentionally created Luthor to be, like, the ultra-humanite. Because right. we're going to see the – spoiler alert – we're going to see the ultra-humanite a few more times here pretty soon, mm-hmm. and he kind of takes a different turn mm-hmm. as far as what happens to the character. But, um, but yeah, they are kind of similar. I yeah, mean, at least at this point. Evil, evil scientists, so. Evil scientists, yeah. So is this the first time 
well, obviously this is Superman's first supervillain, mm-hmm. correct? Okay, so this is pretty much setting the the uh, brain versus brawn. I don't know staple. I guess you could say. You could say that. Um, yeah. That's not going to be the basis of all the stories from here on out. But no. yeah, this is this is more. Uh, this is really his first major villain, and he's you know uh, more. Super- I can't. I can't think of any previous stories you've covered where you know someone's trying to outsmart Superman or. No, it's just all. It's all been thugs and corrupt right. businessmen, or that one with the uh, Riley where the police officer was trying to catch him, but that was more wacky hijinks than. Right. It's just him know. toying with people. Right. Superman, and now this right. guy actually one one up Superman. Oh yeah. At, le- at least once. Yeah, he's just uh, very different than any villain we've seen before. Um, mm-hmm. He's more super villainy and evil mastermind, mm-hmm. um, and he's a cripple. Which, you know, I think that was probably sort of uh, maybe ahead of its time. I, and I hate to use the word cripple, but that's the word they use. Uh, well, that that plays off of Superman's, you know, super strength too. Right. Yeah. If the villain is using intelligence, I mean, his body's so opposite of Superman that he can't even walk. Mm-hmm. He needs to work on his entrance and so entrance. <laughs> He's just kind of sitting there in a chair. Yeah. Yeah. And if I were Reynolds, I don't care how awesome my boss is. I, after what I've seen Superman do, I would not just be sitting there with that cocky grin uh, going, you know. Well, maybe he's maybe he's surrounded by a uh, electrical field too. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to have seen Siegel reference a couple previous stories. The older humanite says that Superman has interfered frequently with his plans. Mm-hmm. So I would have liked to have seen Siegel reference you know, a story or two that we'd seen before now that the older humanite was really behind. Like right. the, like Gimpy the Fence or whoever. Or that. Wasn't, wasn't there some sort of oil rig story? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of was trying to figure out how owning a cab company and trying <laughs> trying to get a monopoly on cab companies helps you rule the world anyway. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's where I think this story. That's why you didn't see it coming because the cab the cab thing doesn't really scream supervillain to me. No, unless he was trying to uh, take over the transportation of the city, but. I guess. That, that's yeah. It's like it's like it's a, stretch. a story about a bunch of robberies of Seven Eleven, and it turns out that Darkseid is behind it all, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? Someday uh, I will rule all convenience stores. The, the Ultra Humanite, though, he has a thing for taxis, because we're going to yeah. see another story involving the Ultra Humanite and, and taxi cabs. It's just I don't know what it is, but yeah. Did you think Superman getting taken out by the sheet of flame was kind of lame? Given that um, we've seen him walking through explosions and surviving bullets, well, I think it's rendered funny for starters. Well, yeah, it, it does look like he's just kind of walking through fire. But then the description is that it's what did they say? It was a electric panel on the floor uh, that that could a portion kill. of the floor was uh, yeah a portion of the floor was lined with electricity. Yeah, that could kill five hundred men. So I don't know. I guess I could buy that it might slow him down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a note here that it seems like, like um, historically, anyway, in the in the 
like the uh, Timverse, the Tim Universe, Tim Bruce Tim Universe, the cartoons, mm-hmm. for instance. It the DCAU, like, like, yeah. It seems like the electricity would be the one way to not necessarily knock him out, but at least stop him a little bit. Um, and I don't know if that's... Other than been, Kryptonite, right. Well, sure, other than Kryptonite being the staple, but um, I don't know if that's been the case in other comic books where it seems like he has a slight invulnerability to, or a slight vulnerability to electricity or I don't know why that would be but it seems like it always makes him scream in agony and fall to his knees so. <laughs> yeah well in the cartoons yeah not so much in the comics I, I guess though a high enough a high enough jolt especially at this point mm-hmm. you know could take him out but this is the first time we've seen Superman taken down by a yeah. villain. I mean, he's they, he's knocked unconscious. Yeah. So again, that's another historical first, as far as the the strip goes, and as far as a villain goes, because no villain has really taken Superman down at this point. Yeah. And it's funny. I've been, I've had a few conversations with different people about, you know, Golden Age Superman versus Golden Age Batman. Uh huh. Because inevitably, everybody's always doing Superman versus Batman. Yes, and in the golden age, there's no kryptonite, so that's that's the number one way to go, right? In a in a Batman argument, so but now at least he's got knocked unconscious in this issue, so yeah, there's there's hope for Batman <laughs> to some degree, but yeah, probably not. Uh, I, no, I, I'm pretty sure the golden age Superman would just beat yeah. the, the golden age Batman into a bloody pulp, pretty much. But and now we're back on the battle board again, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, this scene with the buzzsaw, though, this is my own little fanish note. This is just seared into my mind from the first time I read this, which wasn't too long ago, really, comparatively in my collecting history. But I don't know what's so memorable, memorable about it because I had seen greater things before that. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's just walking, you know, going through the Golden Age stories and seeing that for the first time. I just just one of those scenes that I, I always remember. Yeah, well, it's pretty brutal. Uh, not only the idea of trying to cut somebody in half with a, a table <laughs> saw, but what, what happens to Reynolds after Oh, yeah, that's the second brutal death this issue. I mean, that thing stabs him right in the throat. Mm-hmm. And we've just not seen that in the Superman stories. I mean, we've seen characters die, but it's not been shown so bluntly. Uh it was just kind of jarring, even though I saw Batman snap a guy's neck uh, a few yeah, episodes ago. So yeah, that was pretty bad too. But yeah, this has blood splurt, you know, spurting out. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but these these villains just um, and not just in the Golden Age, but ever they just never seem to get how super Superman is. You know, no. It's like if I was able to knock him unconscious, I would just thank my lucky stars that I. <laughs> was able to do that and run for the hills, you know? Right. But instead, no, nah, let's put him on a table and have an ordinary saw. And they tied him up with just, like, little bitty rope. Right. It's like... I mean, Reynolds alone has seen what this guy can do. <laughs> right. So... Uh, and if they thought he was going to stay unconscious, then why get the rope? But right. if if they knew he was going to wake up, then what what good is the rope going to... Uh, right. I mean, but, if bullet, bullets don't kill this guy, but the saw's going to do it, you know? I mean, <laughs> but I, I guess that's just a way of showcasing 
superpowers, you know. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's fun. But we get one panel here. The ultra humanite has been mostly bald throughout the story. He's got a little bitty tuft of hair right in the, the base of his skull. But right here in this one panel, we get him with a full head of red hair. Yeah. And to go back to the Luthor humanite, yeah. ultra humanite stuff, um, I wonder if this only furthered the confusion between the two characters because Luthor is going to be introduced with a full head of red hair. And it's been said that the reason he later showed up bald with no explanation is that the artist confused him with the ultra humanite. Oh. Uh. Being that they were both the, you know, the mad scientist type. Right. So I wonder if this one panel didn't, you know, add to that confusion. Yeah, because really, except for the wheelchair, this could be Luther. Oh, right. Yeah. You could change out Ultra Humanite, put in Lex Luthor, and it would work just fine. Right. So. But I, I like the panel where the the minion is carrying the Ultra Humanite out of the cabin while he's still in the chair. Like, wouldn't yeah. it be easier to take him out of the chair first there? And, and, and he's got Ultra Humanite has his hands in the air. <laughs> right. Like he's in charge or something. Woohoo! Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's raving. Yeah. Burn it to the ground. He can't survive fire. Yeah, mm. right. And yes, my ultra humanite voice sounds just like my uh, Joe Chill voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the same guy, too. I don't know. Could be. <laughs> um. Um, but we get the, the ultra humanite's fantastic air vessel. Mm-hmm. So we have another. Uh, Super villain like trait for the ultra humanite because we've not seen any villains to this point with fancy gadgets and special technology. Yeah. Or like the like the gas cigar from earlier. Yeah. And then we got a Superman who seems like he's worried about being in fire. Yeah. See, um, that's just it's, it, Siegel wasn't real consistent with his powers because yeah, we've seen him go through fire before. He, he so, gets out and he and he exclaims, you know, "Woo! That was almost the end of me." Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe he can't breathe smoke. I don't know. Well, that's but a good point. I never thought about that that part. He wasn't making choking noises though. So although in the third or fourth story, he was breathing in gases that the caption said would have killed an ordinary man. Yep. So, so forget that idea. Yeah. But. Um. But then here we go again, even though I know it's jumping, but it seems more like flying to me. It's... Uh, I think they really want him to just be flying, and they haven't come out and said it yet. It's these, like I've said in previous episodes, it's these crazy acrobatics that eventually just lead to full-on flying, because... Yeah. I mean, there's no way he can just, you know, change direction in midair, you know, if he's leaping. Right. So... But yeah, he is moving rather freely through the through the sky here. Right. I mean, it, it would just be he just leaps into the air, and it looks like he kind of spots the plane flying away from him, and then somehow mm-hmm. he's able to smash into the propellers. Right. Um, I don't know. But it, it sure is good to be Superman because that is, you know, your bad guy's escaping an airplane, no problem. Just fly <laughs> in the air, break break his propeller, and. Right. And everybody plummets to their death. Where Batman would have had to gone all the way back to Wayne Manor, got the Batplane, come all the way back, followed them to, you know, Hungary or Paris or wherever. Yep. Superman's much cooler. Mm. But yeah. Yep. He just possibly killed three people. Yeah. Or it, did it he? Says he? 
Hey, he doesn't find the ultra humanite, but uh, it, it doesn't specify that he finds the other bodies. Right. But you assume they're there. In, in the tangled wreckage, yeah. Yeah. But again, we could have had he could have been using his X-ray vision and his uh, telescopic vision to search through the wreckage instead of. Of course, I guess there could be lead. Yeah. But we haven't got we they haven't mentioned that he can't see through lead yet. Yeah. So. But overall, I thought this was just an awesome introduction to the Ultra Humanite. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. I, again, I think it kind of, it did. It reminds me of that. I don't know if you. What was that movie from *Dust Till Dawn*, where it starts out as a kind of these two robbers, and then halfway through the movie, it turns into a full-on vampire movie, like it was two different movies. But it's been so long since I've seen that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just starts out a racketeering thing, and then. Huh. Suddenly yeah. it's it's a supervillain thing and yeah. but I did enjoy it. It was fun. Personally I can't wait to see more of this the super vil- the real supervillains, you know, right. instead of the, the thugs and stuff. I mean those are fun, but pretty much once you've seen one, you've seen them all. So Right. You can only right. toss around normal guys so many times. Right. Right. As I said, the the two brutal deaths were kind of a shock because we haven't really seen that in, in the Superman stories to this point. Um but Pete Pete and Reynolds. Right. Yeah. Especially the one where he just gets the... Man, that's just painful to get the the uh, metal piece stabbing you through your throat. That's... Well, maybe maybe Batman's eking into Superman, too. Could be. Never know. We've seen Batman taking a lot from the Superman oh, comics, so... Absolutely. I've seen Captain America taking a lot from the Superman comics. But, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean he wasn't also influenced by stuff every once in a while. Oh, definitely, definitely. Oh, that's not, yeah, that's not what I was getting at. But, um, what'd you think of the art? Um, I thought it was pretty good. Um, you know, like I said, that, especially that first panel, but just Superman in general is, you know, rendered the way I pretty much, you know, envisioned the character. I guess it's like those Fleischer cartoons, essentially, Mm -hmm. is the best way to describe it. Um, and I, I didn't have any problems, you know, any, there weren't any confusing moments where, you know, one minute he's one direction and then he's another, that sort of thing. Right. Um, no spatial issues and no spatial yeah. issues or anything like that. I mean, it's pretty clear cut, straightforward and fairly dynamic. I think, um, Schuster does a good job of, you know, rendering his powers. Uh-huh. Um, I really like the, the plane crash at the end, actually. Um, I don't know exactly what I like about it, but the, you know, the plane exploding and Superman just kind of landing, on, right. landing on its feet like a cat. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. You can see a lot of, at least I can, a lot of influence from someone other than Schuster, um, especially oh, really? in the inking. Yeah. Um, and we'll see it even more in the next issue of Action Comics. But um, well, maybe it was that. What's uh, Paul Cassidy? Yeah, Paul Cassidy. Yeah. Could be, but um, but yeah, good issue. It has been reprinted twice. First in Superman: The Action Comics Archives, Volume One, and then later in Superman Chronicles, Volume One. As far as other features and ads in the book, it has the final Scoop Scanlan strip, and this is a strip by William Bill Eli that has been running since Action Comics Number One, and it's the first feature that was in that first issue to be. Uh, to drop off and it's going to be replaced by another feature next issue 
Eli spent the next decade or so creating strips for Dell after he left DC, and then he'll come back to DC in the early 50s. Um, other features are just as normal. We've got Pep Morgan, Marco Polo, Tex Thompson, Chuck Dawson, and Zaytara. And in the center spread of the book, there's a double page, double page color ad for Superman number one, and it's uh, chock full of thrills, action, and adventure. And then you can tell that this was a big deal because a double page ad for one comic book was practically unheard of yeah. at this time. So, but it's got the well, uh, and and one comic dedicated to one character. Oh yeah, yeah. Unheard I mean that's. Of. It was unheard of because Superman was the first one, so. And it even says you get to be a member of a Superman of America. Mm-hmm. So. And we'll be talking about that more in just a minute. Yep. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey. And I am Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman wait, wait, from... Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle-scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air. Eventually. Because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. All right, so next up is Superman number one. By most accounts, the idea to have a book only featuring Superman was an idea that was thrown together very quickly. 
In late March 1939, M.C. Gaines sent a letter to Jerry Siegel that elaborated on the features that the book would have. Siegel and Schuster were given about a week to put all the new material together so that the book could be rushed into production and get it on the stands as soon as possible. And it's odd that that letter and the instructions would come from M.C. Gaines because while Gaines dealt with the Superman newspaper strip and all the All-American books, it's always been my understanding that he had very little dealings with the editorial content of the comics, of the DC comics. But I, I don't know, maybe I'm incorrect on that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, when all was said and done, Superman number one was published and reprinted the Superman stories from Action Comics number one through four, along with some new material. And I've already covered the four stories, yeah, the four stories in episodes one through four of the show, but we're going to take a look at the new stuff. So the cover, there's no date on the cover. Uh, inside the book, it just says 1939. But it was released on May 18, 1939. And this is the first issue, aside from the World's Fair comic, that we have a confirmed release date on, courtesy of Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. So I thought that was kind of interesting, too. Yep. Like the Action Comics issues, it's uh, 10 cents with a 64-page count. And why don't you go ahead and uh, kind of describe the cover a little bit? Uh, well, it's a pretty iconic cover. I mean... <laughs> it's very iconic, yeah. By pretty, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is... Maybe this the is most Superman, iconic really. cover yeah. of comics, period. Um, in fact, so let me... I guess I could describe it. It's Superman. looks like he's leaping up over you know straight up over buildings and kind of you know tilting his head down onto the city with uh you know one hand outstretched straight in front of him um i'm sure you've either those of you listening have either seen this cover or seen someone uh, pay homage to this cover um if they made the john williams theme into a cover this would be yeah. that cover <laughs> yep. pretty much i would probably say this i like this cover better than action number one even um, just because this seems more like the the you know the ideal Superman that I think of yeah or, you know champion of the city and um, and on the inside he's still you know the uh, fighting against the man but here right. it looks like you know he's he's smiling Superman right he's happy yeah. um, and I would also venture to guess and you probably know this better than I do because you're great at finding these but I would think that this I think this cover has probably been Recreated more so. Oh, it has had action number dozens one. of yeah, dozens of homages and over the years. I mean, I can't even I can't even list them all. It's probably it's probably within the top I would say five cover homages of all yeah. time. Um, yeah, I believe that. With Action Comics number one and maybe the first appearance of Spider-Man. Fantastic Four number one. Yeah, in Crisis um, on Infinite Earth number seven, maybe. Yeah, could be. Hmm. I don't know. Someone still needs to make that website for me. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Come yeah. on. But it is. It's ridiculously iconic. And the funny thing is, it's not original, because it was a recreation or a reuse of the splash page from Action Comics number ten, ah. which I talked about back in episode eleven of the show. So, but still. It, for me, that doesn't detract anything because I, it's just a very awesome cover. Mm -hmm. The complete story of the daring exploits of the one and only Superman. 
64 pages of action. Woohoo. So, turning inside the book, along with the uh, new material in the book, there were six pages right at the beginning of the issue. Action Comics number one started off with a one-page sequence that told Superman's origin, and it had all the basic facts, but it left out quite a few specifics. The first two storylines from the newspaper strip added a few details, but those hadn't worked their way into the comics yet. So here, the issue kicks off with a two-page sequence retelling the origin in even more detail than Action Comics number one did. It tells how the baby's rocket was launched just before Krypton exploded, and a scientist, who isn't named here, put his infant son in a rocket and launched it as the planet exploded. When it reached Earth, it was found by, the el- by an elderly couple named the Kents. We learn that the couple took the baby to an orphanage and later returned to adopt the child. Naming him Clark, the narration tells us that, quote, the love and guidance of his kindly foster parents was to become an important factor in the shaping of the boy's future. And it then goes through how his powers developed and grew, just as it did in the original origin sequence. And then finally it tells us that when Clark's foster parents passed away, it strengthened the the determination Clark had, and that it was at this point that Superman was created. And the text in the final two panels are lifted almost exactly from the first origin sequence. Confusing. Confusing? (laughs) Well, just as, as far as, you know, reprinted history, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, you know, they, they they just piecing all this together for mm-hmm. this issue. Uh, yeah, they've got old material, new material, and yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, it flows pretty seamlessly. I mean, if you didn't know that, it, it you know, I wouldn't have been able to tell, really. You mean the origin into the story? Yeah. Um, well, even the first, what is it, four pages of new material for the story? Oh, uh-huh. I mean... The coloring's a little different, but right, it, the story, you know, flows right into uh, it. So mostly, <laughs> mostly, mostly. Yeah. There, there's some glitches that we'll talk about when we get to those pages, but yeah. Uh, but um. But, so, uh, the Kents. The Kents. We have Mary and unknown Kent. Mm-hmm. Mr. Kent. Mr. Kent. So is this the first time? This is the first time either of his adoptive parents have been named or even mentioned. Okay. Period. Mary is, of course, not Martha yet, right. obviously. Um, and yeah, no Jonathan. No Jonathan. And there's a slight retcon here, too, because in that original origin from Action Comics number one, it says he was found by a passing motorist. Singular. Uh-huh. Not two motorists. Right. Uh, and I guess you could take it either way, but clearly says a passing motorist. Yeah. So... Um. But I, I must have read this before because I, especially the the panel with the baby Superman picking up a dresser over his head. Uh huh. Um, well, that I've was a, seen that panel. That was similar to a panel in Action Comics number one. Yeah, and I gotta say I've never really liked the idea of, of you know a Superman who starts out fully powered. Fully powered. I yeah. like I like I like the post crisis idea better where it, it just happens gradually you know mm-hmm. through adolescence and so forth because I, I have a 15 month old at home and if he could lift a dresser <laughs> over his head right I, w- I would not be happy <laughs> yeah yeah it, I'd it's, be in trouble it stretches the credibility even 
reading a book about a guy that flies and shoots laser beams out of his eyes. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. But it is cute, though. Mort, Mort Weisinger is going to get a lot of mileage out of those super baby stories. So True. Uh, but this is the first time we've seen or that we've been told that Clark spent some of his boyhood at some place other than an orphanage. Uh-huh. The, uh, the original sequence in the newspaper serial said the baby was taken to an orphanage and then the next thing you know he's a he's an he's an adult I can't talk he's a full grown adult so right so here he's adopted by by the Kents right they drop him off leave and then come back yeah essentially so um so that got me wondering because you know I haven't read a lot of Superman comic books but either other interpretations I think Smallville for instance he was adopted you know I mean, obviously, he's always adopted. But, I mean, as far as the story that they give other people, Mm -hmm. um, is Clark always adopted or is he passed off as biological? Post-crisis in the John Byrne reboot, they passed him off as their their baby. Okay. But in all the other continuities, pre-crisis and even now with the post-whatever it's called, Post Secret Origins, I guess. Uh-huh. It, he's adopted. He's adopted. Mm-hmm. Okay. That probably makes more but, sense considering he looks nothing like the Kents, but. Right. But in the the Burn reboot, the story was they found him right before a, a huge snowstorm mm-hmm. that kept the Kents out of town for so many months. Right. So they could explain. Right. How she was pregnant and nobody knew it. Right. Yeah. And that's a. The problem I always had with that is that it would have to be a mighty big snowstorm. Well, didn't that tie but, into some later story? Um, yeah, they tied I can't it. Remember now? They tied it in with um, that one where Millennium. everybody, the mine people, or whatever. Yeah, they said Millennium, that the Manhunters yeah. had replaced Manhunters. replaced Clark's doctor, uh, his boyhood doctor, and Lana, Lana Lang was a Manhunter. Well, and they they created the storm or something, or I can't remember now. They were responsible for the storm somehow. Hmm. Maybe. Anyway, Um, but uh, some details that we still don't know include where the costume comes from. Uh, We don't know if did Clark design it himself. There's just he's there in the uh, his jacket at the gravesite, and then the next thing you know, he's in a costume. So. Yep. And we also don't know about the formation of the Clark Kent identity. Right. Um, they they briefly talked about it in the second line, second storyline from the newspaper strip, but that's that's really all the explanation we've gotten. So. Yeah, because he doesn't have glasses as a kid, or. Right. Or when he's talking to this doctor, or standing in front of the gravesites. Right. But I really like this uh, the panel where Clark Kent is standing over his his parents' grave and. Uh huh. And um, you know, deciding to dedicate his superpowers to you know doing good. Yes. Based on their behalf, and and I got to wondering if maybe that it all inspired, you know, Bruce Wayne's parents being murdered. It could be. It came out. Yeah, four or five months before that one came out. So. I mean, not that Clark Kent's parents were murdered in this story or anything, but. No. But it's still an interesting. It's still an interesting idea that their deaths are at least in some way a catalyst to him becoming Superman. Right. Which isn't always the way it's portrayed. 
No. Uh, um, sometimes it's his dad's death, in, like in the movie, for instance. But uh, in the post-crisis reboot, the burn they're reboot... Just, they're just one big happy family. Yeah, they they lived and until Jeff Johns came on the book and killed him off. So, killed Jonathan right. off anyway. But um, Right. So, anyway. So, so yeah, uh, we get those two pages at the beginning of the story. And then... The next four pages are an addition or a prologue to the story from Action Comics number one. And it begins with Clark Kent seeking a job at the Daily Star. He's turned away, but resolves that he needs to be a reporter so that he can get the news of people that need his help. Leaping up to the side of the building, he listens as the editor gets news of a lynch mob attacking the county jail and heads out to get the story. At the jail, the mob has grabbed a man named Sims and are set for a hanging. Superman arrives on scene and fights off the angry mob. Superman takes Sims back to jail, then tells him that he's a reporter and asks for his story. Sims tells him that he and a woman named Evelyn Curry, who is to be executed that night, are being held for the murder of Jack Kennedy. But they're both innocent and were framed by the real murderer, B. Carroll, a singer at a local nightclub. Clark calls in the story about the attempted uh, hanging into the Daily Star, uh, and for landing the big scoop, he's awarded a job and told to report to work the next day. He then heads to the nightclub as Superman to confront Carol. Carol is at first belligerent, then flirtatious, before finally confessing to her crimes and pulling a gun on Superman, threatening to shoot him too. But Superman snatches the gun from her hand, forces her to sign a confession and leaps out the window as the radio announces that Curry's execution is set to take place in 30 minutes. And from there it picks up with the reprint of Action Comics number one with Superman running towards the governor's mansion. Right. Um, so just to clarify, because I'm getting confused now as to okay. what's new and not new. So those four pages were made specifically for this issue or just yes. were they lying around and just unpublished? No, they were drawn specifically for this issue. Okay. That's why the art looks different. Right. It does, It definitely looks different. If you look at the art from Action Comics number one, you can see where it was shaded uh-huh. because it was originally intended for newspaper strips. Right. Where here it's yeah. just solid, right. Solid blue, yeah. Yeah, it's mostly the coloring that looks different. I mean, mm-hmm. figures too, I guess, but... Yeah, there there is some... Well, his, his costume is different. Yeah. His, his boots are red, where in the... Action Comics number one, he's got the lace-up boots. Oh, yeah, true. The Gladiator style, yeah. Right. But it, this is another sort of um, retcon, I guess you might want to call it. In the newspaper dailies, Clark was unable to wrap some trapped... Excuse me, he was unable to rescue some trapped men in a vault because he didn't get the news on time. So mm-hmm. he decided to become a reporter to get the news earlier. And here we don't know we don't know the reason if there even is one that led to his decision to become a reporter. Um I he does mention that he wants to get what does he say? He wants to get news quickly. Right. I'll I'll get news dispatches so, promptly and I'll be in a better position to help people. But what right. I mean is that we don't know if he just thinks of that on his own or because in the newspaper stories there was a a reason they, yeah, men they, died they, because he didn't get the news on time. 
Right, right. But here, it, it seems like he just comes out of comes up with it out of the blue. So here's another note I have to okay. put you on the spot. Um, dun, dun, dun. Um, this is kind of like Jeopardy. So, yeah, I have an answer. So in, the, in this particular case, you know, the newspaper is the obviously the best way to get news in 1930, 1930s. Um, but of course, that's not the case anymore. I would think with the internet and you know television and all that. So right. do they? They do they ever come up with other reasons why he's a reporter or wanted to be a reporter? It it was something that interested him. I think that was a reason they used post crisis. Okay. But never never like a big you know a big reason that I can point to that I can think of at the moment. Okay. And if I'm wrong, I'm sure someone will write in. But no, not that I can really think of. Was it? I don't know. I could be wrong too. But was it birthright or something like that? Where it was something he could do that didn't involve his powers, writing. Right. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. That birthright? I don't know what that was. I remember that somewhere. Could be. Birthright, by the way. That's another Superman story I like, as I couldn't think of stories uh-huh. when you asked me. But anyway. I like I liked the last half of it. Yeah. <laughs> and my friend Rich always tells me that the first half is the best part. He didn't like the last half, so oh, wow. we, we butt heads over that. But between the two of you, it's a, it's a <laughs> between good the story. two of us, it's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but on page four, I, I liked how Superman is telling people that the prisoner's fate will be decided by the court of justice, when clearly he has no problem taking the law into his own hands. Right. Right. So. Well, this is very. That's a very modern Superman speech. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Which does not fit the character as he currently is, that's no. for sure. Yeah, but when you read it all as a whole, you have um, you have him saying that the uh, the guilty fate, you know, the guilty's fate, will be decided by a court of justice, and then you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, pan- six pages later, you have Superman throwing a guy into a wall. So, right. Uh, yeah, and I, I didn't really love the artwork on these. Uh, these panels where you know the mob's trying to beat him up. It looks it looks like they're just on a lawn somewhere playing soccer. I guess. Yeah, I there's no uh, not a lot of background detail. So this was probably yeah. a rush job based on well, they, what you what you were saying earlier. Right, they had about a week to put it all together. So right, so no time for details. Right, but um, Clark or Superman, while he's still in Superman costume, tells this guy that he's a reporter. Yeah. So great job concealing your identity there, Clark. Yep, he and Bruce Wayne belong to the same club. <laughs> but at least he didn't just walk into another room and then come back as as Superman and say hello. He will. I, I can't help you. Hang on just a minute here. I have to go over here. No, but he will eventually start telling everybody that he's good friends with Superman. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which completely negates his secret identity, but whatever. Ugh. <sighs> uh. He and Peter Parker. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, and we have B. Carroll, the latest in a long line of crazy women and Superman stories. Yeah. Man. All she really had to do was say, um, can you prove it? And he would have said, um, no. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to get that's what most of his villains just have to do. Can you prove it? Right no. Okay, then. Bye. But then he tosses about the window and orders a confession so yeah but notice how differently he treats her than he does his male villains to this point because if yeah. Carol had been a man 
he would have thrown her through the door or grabbed her foot and went leaping through the skyline until she confessed. Yeah. But here he's very he's stern, but you know, he's not rough. He grabs her right. by the arm and that's about it. Right, right. So well, I, you know. She's a woman. Yeah. I guess. Although in Superman's case that shouldn't really matter because even men have no chance against him, so Right. It's not really fair either way. Right. But but yeah, he's chivalrous, I guess. <laughs> but um, this bit with Carol uh, framing Sims and Curry, I think that would have made a good full-length story rather than just the backstory for that opening scene. Yeah. And I think there's enough there. He could have spread that out another eight pages and had Clark using his investigative skills to track down the real murderer, and that would have been interesting. Or, you know, track down proof. Yeah. I don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I... I uh... Never liked the way Action Comics number one opened. Oh, yeah? It just seems very abrupt to me. Oh. I, uh, I kind of like so, the way it just starts uh, with in, him running around in Media with a Res. Woman. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I made fun of that in the first yeah, the first episode that there wasn't yeah. really a lot of explanation, but I do kind of like that he just, just comes right into the uh, story with him running to save this uh, woman. Yeah, that part was fine. It's just, it's the. Uh, yeah, just the fact that he has a tied-up woman that he leaves against a tree, and that just seems to be the end of that. But yeah. um, so that's why it was nice to see these these other pages to get the backstory on it. Yeah, yeah. It does with the new information here, though. It does change the context of that first story because it puts all this happening, you know, him him uh, saving uh, what's her name, Curry, Carol. Mm-hmm. Carol. Anyway, it, that's Clark's first day on the job right that's so, how he gets the job yeah so when later on in Action Comics number one when he asks Lois out that I mean she says I'll give you a break for a change a change from uh, what you just met him that's and, a good point and other people in the office seem to know who Clark is and when uh, they're dancing when Clark and Lois are on their date they're dancing and Clark says why is it you always avoid me at the office well, it's your first day on the job, Clark. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, so they screwed up there a little so, bit. So, huh? yeah, it, it kind of makes some wonkiness, but... Yeah, I didn't notice that. Oh. But the rest of it holds up. Uh, yeah. Just the timeline doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So originally those... Action Comics number one was a, was intended to be a comic strip. Mm-hmm. And was it... Um, just as presented or did they have to re finagle it the story that Siegel and Schuster always told in later interviews was that they had four weeks worth of daily newspaper strips ready to go when when the feature was bought Okay. and then they had to cut and paste and and rearrange those trimming some stuff maybe adding some stuff into the 13 page story we got in Action Comics number one okay yeah, that's a kind of a bummer that they, they, uh, I don't know, maybe they forgot what they said in action number one, and it could be, yeah, or they just wanted to add more story, history to Superman right. in this first issue. Oh well, but still, I, it's you know, I like it. Yeah. Uh, so the next thing and the next piece of new material in the in the issue is a 
two-page text story that Mr. Kaiser is going to tell you all about. Right. Uh, it's eventually called Biff Dugan, and it's by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, even though Joe only had to do a couple panels. It's it's a text piece, like we just said. Um, and it starts, um, Sergeant Blake and his men are called to a crime scene, the office firm of one Harvey Brown, patent attorney. The office has been trashed, and Harvey, quivering and cowering on the floor, tells the sergeant that Superman was here and that he had wrecked the place, claiming that Harvey had stolen his client's inventions. Blake immediately turns into the, into the hallway, hoping to catch Superman before he can escape the scene. His men inform Blake that no one has been this way. Uh, oh, except that guy wearing blue tights <laughs> down to an elevator a few moments ago. Chastising his men for being morons, Blake instructs one of them to hold the elevator button for three minutes, which will stop the elevator from moving, trapping Superman inside. Rushing to the first floor, Blake and his men aim their guns at the closed doors of the elevator, preparing for the fight of their life, but are surprised when, as the doors open, they find a meek-looking reporter inside named Clark Kent, who hasn't seen any strange-looking men in tights riding the elevator. Clark follows the the dejected Blake and his men back to the station, musing that this mix-up would make a great story for the Daily Star. Blake pleads with him not to write that story, as it would make Blake look like a fool, and Clark concedes with the promise that Blake owes him owes him one. Just then, one of Blake's men informs Blake that the, that Biff Dugan, a notorious murderer who has been evading the police for months, has finally been captured and is being brought in. Clark decides to cash in on his owed favor and asks Blake to, to interview the criminal in private. Blake reluctantly agrees. As Clark interviews Dugan in a closed room, Blake begins to worry that the prisoner will somehow escape and knocks on the door to check. As Clark answers, Dugan takes the opportunity to escape through an open window. Uh, furious that it is somehow Clark's fault, Blake begins shaking the reporter angrily, but, it suddenly, but is suddenly thrown into the air by an unexpected force and then knocked unconscious. Clark apologizes to the unconscious Blake and then changes into Superman, leaping out the window and grabbing hold of Dugan's getaway car by the bumper. Dugan attempts to confront Superman directly and ends up with broken knuckles for his troubles, whereupon Superman easily knocks Dugan unconscious with a pinch to the back of his neck. Grabbing Dugan, Superman leaps up to the prison window and changes back into Clark Kent, just in time to show Blake, who slowly begins to regain consciousness, that Dugan is lying on the floor in the room again and that a strange costume fellow had put him there. Blake, figuring Clark is talking about Superman, wonders if maybe the guy isn't so bad after all, but tells Clark he would still arrest him if he ever got his hands on him. Clark responds with, let's hope you get within reaching distance, and Blake wonders if he can detect a slight mockery in Kent's voice. The end. For a bit of background on these text stories, Publishers in the Golden Age included text stories in the book so that they could take advantage of a loophole at the post office and get the books reclassified to get cheaper mailing rates. Yeah. And I haven't mentioned most of them uh, in the episodes, but there's been a text piece in all the stories, or excuse me, all the comics that I've covered so far on the show. Uh, but this is – they've all been independent of one another with no common characters. Mm -hmm. And of the books – covered on the show, this is the first one with a previously established character, and maybe the first for DC period, but I can't say that for certain. Probably, uh, since, since I haven't, but yeah, probably. Uh, because there weren't really any other... I know, in Detective, they haven't been right featuring anybody specific. Right. But I'm not generally a big fan of 
Superman in prose. I, I think the character works better in visual mediums, mm-hmm. but I really like this two-piece or this two-page story quite a bit. Yeah, the whole thing was from the point of view. Well, not the whole thing. That's the problem. I, the only problem I have with it, but you know, three quarters of it was from the point of view of of the Sergeant Blake character. Mm-hmm. So it was really fun to see how other people are perceiving Superman. Right. Um, and not just Superman, but how how Superman and Clark can't work, you know, from the point of view of somebody else who how, who how, doesn't how, see the change and right right. So how how Superman can use Clark Kent the Clark Kent identity identity to get what he wants in addition to mm-hmm. the Superman identity. So I really like it. The only part I don't like is when they you know knock their point of view character unconscious. Right. And it's like well three fourths the way through yeah they kind of kind of yeah. a cop out there. Yeah, it would have been cooler to have Blake experience the entire story, but um, yeah, it was a good story. Kind of gave us a man on the street perspective on Superman's craziness. Right. We we haven't really gotten that in the comics. Um, uh-huh. In fact, Superman doesn't have any dialogue at all in the no, in it. He doesn't, uh, and he really doesn't even appear until the last quarter yeah, of the story. The, all he does is jump out the window, grab a bad guy, and jump back in. Right. Um, I didn't understand the bit about the elevator button, where he was. He tells the the officer to hold the button. Is that? Um, well, from what I understood, and I could be wrong because it was kind of weird, but it seemed like the office they were investigating was on a different floor. Right. And so the theory is, if Superman just got in the elevator, he's going down to the first floor to leave. And so I guess if you hold the button down, it stops the elevator from moving, and they could take the stairs and beat the elevator. That's all I could figure. Okay. I don't know if that really works. I've never. Yeah, that's what I. I don't. I don't think there's an emergency stop on the outside of elevators, is there? Yeah, I guess. I have no idea. Maybe there was in the '30s. Maybe. Hmm. Maybe that was. Maybe it was one of those rickety, you know, open. No, it had doors. I don't know what it was. Yeah, that's weird. I like the the bit on page one where it says, there were some very wild tales being circulated about this fellow who called himself Superman. And then it goes into the sort of traditional lines about how he dedicated his existence to helping the weak and oppressed and he could lift tremendous weights and smash Uh steel. I like how he worked that into the the story itself. Yeah. Uh, And it was kind of neat. You know, we've already talked about how the police don't especially like him that much, but it was kind of neat that the uh, Sergeant Blake at the end was starting to think maybe he wasn't so bad after all. Right. He's coming around. He's coming around. I don't uh, don't really have too much else to say about it. I mean, it's only two pages, but I I did quite enjoy it. There's only one other Superman text story that I know of. So apparently, either. Uh, oh, this doesn't continue with Superman two and three and four. And there's so one in Superman number two, but after that, the one in the the text piece in Superman number three is just a generic. Really? Yeah. But it's supposed to be all Superman all the time. Well, I know. Oh, that's weird. But I don't know if uh, Siegel didn't like writing them, or if they just found it easier to put the generic ones in because I mean I'm sure they had those things stacked up and they just pulled them yeah, whenever they needed right, them but. right right 
so that's uh, well. There's some other features in the uh, in the issue. At the end of the reprint of the story from Action Comics number two, there's a form telling kids that if they want to see Superman in their local newspaper, that they should clip out this coupon and write in their name and the of their uh, local newspaper and their name, and send it in, and that, that the company would try to get the uh, the strip in their paper. So thereby ensuring that all Superman number one copies are. <laughs> Thousands of dollars, or hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Well, in in Action Comics number one, they had a. Uh, I didn't talk about it in the episode, and I wish I would have. But they had a contest. The inside cover talked about a contest that if you ripped out the uh, one of the pages and colored it in and mailed it in, then the winner would get something. Yeah. And the thing of it is that the page that you're supposed to rip out was on the back side of the last page of the Superman story. Great. So if you have a copy with that, I mean, I'm sure it's still worth, you know, seven figures. But if you if you happen to get a copy where some kid ripped that out, you're going to be missing one of the pages of the Superman story. So. Yeah. Wait till they start doing the paper drives for. Oh yeah. Yeah. Know, World War Two. Yeah. Uh, we also have a one-page scientific explanation of Superman's amazing strength, and it has. Mostly the same information as that one panel did back in Action Comics number one, but it adds a new detail that because Earth is much smaller than the planet Krypton, it has a lighter gravity and that aids Superman's feats of strength. So that's the first time that's been brought into continuity, that it's not just a race of Superman, but that the difference in gravity aids it as well. So this is the first time that it it's singling out Superman from other Kryptonians um, is what you're saying because before that he was just strong because he was from Krypton well originally they introduced the idea that all Kryptonians had Superman's abilities even on Krypton right and here that's still uh, but now he has even greater abilities right because of the gravity difference right Right. And that's important because eventually the race of Superman idea was going to be done away with entirely. And then they'll introduce the idea that his powers come from the yellow sun, and it'll be a combination of the two. So right. I just thought that was important to note for the historical purposes. Right. And we have a one-page Meet the Creators feature that has a picture of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and a little bit of text about each one. And we have a one-page full-color ad for Action Comics with an image of the cover to issue number 14. And this ad is an indicator of which printing of Superman number one that you have. Um, According to the Grand Comics database, there were three printings. And on the first run, this ad says, on sale June 2nd. But later runs say, now on sale. So and either way, it's worth a lot of money. Oh yeah, right. Oh, probably. Yeah, and if you don't think it is, just send it to me. <laughs> right. I will gladly take it off your hands. Right. The back cover is a uh, pinup of the famous Superman busting chains with his chest graphic that we've seen several mm-hmm. times, and it was put on the back page here uh, with the intention that kids could cut it off and frame it and hang it up. Yikes. <laughs> Yeah, that's been that's been uh, you know paid tribute to also. Quite oh a yes, few times. yeah, 
Um, just which I always find funny because the more powerful Super gets, the less you know, in you know, the less special breaking chains with your chest is. But right. But it, it still always looks cool. It's, it's an iconic image. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but in the center spread, we have a two-page ad for the Superman of America Club, and with a motto of strength, courage, justice. The the club served as the official Superman fan club well into the 1960s. The club was free to join for all red-blooded young Americans. Members had to promise to do everything everything possible to increase his or her strength and courage and to aid the cause of justice. Uh, All you had to do to become a member was to mail in this coupon with a dime to cover postage, and you would receive your official membership certificate signed by Clark Kent himself, a membership button, and a pocket decoder for Superman's secret code that could be used to read messages that will be printed in future issues of Action Comics. And maybe Superman, too. I don't remember. But uh, we'll be talking more about the club in future episodes because I plan on decoding the messages in the comics. And you talking... have a decoder? I have one that I found online. Yeah. Wow. Oh, now, if I had one that was real, it would be worth... Yeah. Um... Yeah. But I'm yeah, sure they're hard. Yeah. I'm sure it's a hard thing to break. <laughs> it's just the, like the backwards alphabet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I, I dig these kind of clubs. They just come from a, a time when comics were fun, and yep. they were for kids, not, yep. not middle-aged men like us. Yeah. So. Although I would join, if it existed. Oh, I would too. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. If I could scourge up the dime. Yeah. But um so that's Superman number 1 and one thing I meant to mention earlier is that nowhere on the cover or inside is there a number oh. that, that says number 1 and like I mentioned there's no date on the cover either and inside it just says 1939. So Is this going to be a one shot or well, something? Well, I don't know. I mean if you look at the ads and stuff there's there's no indication in the ads that this is a new series. True. So it makes me wonder if they weren't just, you know, kind of testing the waters with it, not promoting it as a new series or as a one-shot, and if it didn't do well, then they could just, you know, yeah, not put any more out. But That's if it did do well, it. yeah, which it obviously did because they came out with, what, 400 more issues after that? Yeah, 122. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Still going today, but but yeah, that's uh that's Superman number 1. So Awesome. Awesome. The Superman Fan Podcast is turning over a new leaf for 2011. With the growth of Superman podcasts in 2010 covering the Golden Age of Superman, the Bronze Age Superman, the post-crisis Superman, as well as current Superman stories, I noticed that there was not a podcast which covered the Silver Age of Superman stories. And since I began reading comic books in the early to mid-1960s, right in the middle of the Silver Age, I decided it would be a perfect opportunity for me to cover the Silver Age of Superman stories. One week I will cover the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, 
World's Finest Comics, and eventually Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. The next week, I will cover the Man of Steel's titles of Superman and Action Comics, as well as the Supergirl stories. And I will alternate episodes in this fashion through 1970 when Mark Weisinger retired. The home website is at supermanfanpodcast.mypodcast.com and expanded show notes are at supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com. Your emails are welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com and I look forward to reading them. The Superman Fan Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at www.fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork, where you can find all of the podcasts covering every era of the Man of Steel. Episodes are also available on iTunes. So join me each week as we fly through the time barrier and journey through the Silver Age adventures of Superman. Okay, so Superman number one and Action Comics number 13 both came out in May 1939. And as always, I thought I'd run through the other books that were on the stands around that time. First up was Movie Comics number three, which was an all-American book. And this is a book that, as I said before, it reprints, or I'm sorry, it adapts movies. This issue adapted East Side of Heaven with Bing Crosby, Mexicali Rose with Gene Autry, and a movie called The Spirit of Culver, which starred Jackie Cooper, who played Perry White in the Christopher Reeve movies, John Hamilton, who played Perry White in George Reeves' Adventures of Superman, and Pierre Watkin, who was the Perry White from the movie serials. So it had three future Perry White actors. It all comes back to Superman. It all comes back to Superman. And we are recording this uh, about a week, maybe not even that long, after the passing of Jackie Cooper. So yeah. that's kind of sad. That because, was pretty sad. Right. Uh, he w- ex- Except for... Uh, the man who played him in Superman Returns, all the Perry White actors now are gone. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because Lane Smith passed several years ago, and of course uh, Hamilton and Pierre Watkin are gone too. So. Yeah, he's my favorite Perry White too. But... Jackie Cooper. Yeah. Uh, see, I have a fondness for Lane Smith okay. because I think he Lane Smith so perfectly captured that post-crisis Perry White. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought they should have used Jackie Cooper more in the movies. Yeah. And if they had, he might have, uh, he might, you know, be higher on my list. But he was pretty prominent in the first one, it seemed like. But yeah, but he he was after that. I I guess I'm just used to the comics, you know, in the '90s, and even the Adventures of Superman, where Perry was a major character. He has his own story and his own family right. and all right. that stuff. But anyway, Movie Comics number three also adapted Navy Secrets, which starred Fay Ray of King Kong fame. Mm. The next book up was More Fun Comics number 44, which had the final Johnny Law strip, also by Bill Eli, who did the Scoop Scanlon strip. We had Detective Comics number 28, which was the second appearance of Batman, or The Frenchie. Batman. Frenchie Blake. Frenchie Blake's Jewel Gang. You can hear all about that in episode two of Legends of the Batman. Right. (laughs) Uh, And it also had the 
final Fu Manchu strip. Uh, those Fu Manchu stories were newspaper reprints, and it had the last Joe Schuster drawn Bart Regan spy strip. Uh, that strip continues next issue, but it's drawn by a different artist. Yep. Uh, the Slam Bradley story references the Superman Streamline Automobile, which comes from Action Comics number five, and it was one of the products that was promoted by Nick Williams, aka Superman's phony manager. So we have Jerry Siegel referencing his own stories. Yeah. And we had Adventure Comics number thirty-nine. Man, it's weird seeing, you know, such a low number on Adventure Comics for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we're going through the the action comics and detective as well but the adventure one always sticks out anyway it had the final Steve Malone strip by Gardner Fox the final Tom Brent strip by Jim Chambers and the first Jack Woods strip by Jim Chambers but that only lasts four issues and then Jim Chambers leaves DC so I don't really know too much about any of those strips so yeah Uh, the Federal Men story in Adventure Comics number 39 was an anti-marijuana piece called Reefer Madness. (laughs) (laughs) And I suspect that Vin Sullivan was a big proponent of these Reefer Madness stories because there were a few of them at DC while he was editor. And then there are a couple issues of Magazine Enterprise's Ghost Rider had Reefer Madness stories when Sullivan had that company. So, And there doesn't seem to be any after Vin Sullivan leaves DC, just from what I've been able to research, but so it, it just seems to me that was something that Sullivan might have had a hand in. Could be. Uh, and the last book from, well, it was an, it was an All American book, but it was All American Comics number four, which has a nice Bill Smith red, white, and blue cover with the three heroes punching some crooks while Old Glory flies high in the background. And outside of DC, there was the most notable book was Feature Funnies number 21 from Quality. Uh, this title was bought from Centaur by Everett M. Arnold, and Quality Comics launches with this title. And that company was a pretty big, uh, pretty big company in the late Golden Age and early Silver Age. And it will eventually give birth to characters like Dollman, Black Condor, the Phantom Lady. The Blackhawks, The Ray, and Kid Eternity. So, and many of those are revived in the 70s by DC, who bought the properties when Quality closed down in the mid-1950s. So, Yeah, we just talked about Dollman on our Batman show. This is mm-hmm. very confusing. <laughs> it, yeah, you you're, kinda... you're behind, and Batman's in the middle, and Captain America's ahead. And... Uh-huh. You kind of jump around on the uh, yeah. comics history, but... yeah. It's fun going through it, so... Yeah. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. Next up is Action Comics number 14, 
with a cover date of July 1939, and it was released around June 2, 1939, with a 10 cent price and a the normal 64 page count. The cover artist is Fred Gardner, and it shows Zaytara putting the magical whammy on a pair of giant snakes that are emerging from a uh, like a throne where a woman is seated. And a scene similar to this happens in the Zaytara story in the issue. Yeah. I like this cover quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, even though it needs more Superman. But, uh, <laughs> um, even even though it would have meant less Superman on the cover overall, which, I mean, we've only gotten four so far. Well, yeah, four so far. I wouldn't have mind seeing more Zaytara stories from Fred Gardner because I really think his covers had a lot of, a lot of pop. Yeah, uh, but it's uh, pretty. It's pretty. Uh, pretty cool looking. Yeah, but that's just me. Zatara versus Cleopatra. Is that who that is? I didn't read. I don't know. Okay. I didn't either. <laughs> All right. So our Superman story. Uh, it was untitled at publication as normal, but it was later called the Shoddy Subway Scheme, and another title that I'm not gonna give because it spoils the story. So. Yeah. Um, it was written by Jerry Siegel with – now, Grand Comics Database credits Paul Cassidy as doing all the art, uh, though Schuster probably did at least the layouts on this story. Hmm. And the editor, as always, was Ben Sullivan. As our story opens, news spreads of a subway tunnel collapse that has left scores hurt. Thinking something is fishy about the accident, Superman decides to look into it. Superman examines the tunnel and finds the concrete crumbles like sand, but before he can look into it further, he spots another figure also examining the subway. The man is attacked by two other men and left beaten on the subway tracks right in the path of an oncoming train. As the man is nearly run over, Superman leaps into action, diving into the path of the oncoming train and pulling the man to safety. Superman carries the man alongside the speeding train, then with a series of mighty leaps up to street level and onto a nearby rooftop. Superman asks the man what he was doing in the subway, and the man says that he is City Inspector Hughes. He was also suspicious of the materials used by the Star Company in the construction of the subway, and the two men that attacked him must work for Star. Out of nowhere, a guard appears and <laughs> lunges at Superman. But the Man of Steel makes quick work of him and leaps off headed for Star Company. When he arrives at the building, he sees the two men that attacked Hughes walking into the building. Superman leaps onto the ledge of the building and begins peeping in windows until he finds the two men talking to a third man named Lyons. Just then, Lyons gets a phone call that Hughes has filed a formal complaint against the company. Lyons hangs up and berates the two men for, for leaving Lyons alive but the men are dumbfounded to explain how he survived. That is, until Superman pops in through the window and offers to clear things up. One of the men attacks Superman, but just gets a broken fist for his trouble. After harassing them for a bit more and crushing the telephone, Superman corrals all three men and tells them that none are leaving until Lion signs a confession saying that he chinsed on the materials for the subway. Lyons is resistant, but Superman uses a little persuasion by dangling him out the window, holding him only by the shirt collar. Once the other, one of the other men uses the opportunity for a little revenge and shoves Superman out the window. Superman and Lyons plummet towards the street below, but Superman is able to right himself and land on the street 
with Lion in his arms. But he doesn't exactly stick the landing and ends up stumbling into a streetcar. Superman is able to stop the trolley from overturning, then grabs Lions and leaps back up to the building, only t to find that the two attackers are gone. Superman gives chase to the two men who are fleeing in a car. He catches up to them, but just as he reaches out to grab the car, it becomes invisible. Superman is able to follow the car's tracks to what looks like a deserted shed. He busts through the wall of the shed, all George Reeves style, and then unceremoniously falls through a trap door into a tank. As the lid of the tank slams shut, a motor kicks on, and electricity arcs from the power. Nearby, the two thugs gloat over the Man of Steel's demise, along with their boss, the Ultra-Humanite. The Ultra-Humanite flips a switch, releasing the Man of Steel, who is now imprisoned within a crystal. The Ultra-Humanite has a very awesome monologue about how the rumors of his own death have been greatly exaggerated and his victory over Superman. But his jubilation is short-lived as suddenly Superman flexes his muscles, shattering the crystal prison. Superman leaps at the wheelchair-bound madman, looking to deliver some Kryptonian-style whooping, but the Ultra-Humanite evades him by dropping through a secret trap door. Superman tears up the floorboards looking for the Ultra-Humanite, but after failing to find him, he sets his sights on the thugs. He grabs the two men and leaps through the roof. Seeing that the invisible car is now gone, and that the Ultra-Humanite has escaped, Superman takes the two thugs and deposits them with Lyons' confession at the home of City Inspector Hughes to await the authorities. Ignoring Hughes' pleas for some sort of explanation, Superman leaps off and later back at the Daily Star, Clark Kent turns in his expose on the subway construction. Returning home, Clark stews over the fact that the ultra-humanite is still at large, and that his evil machinations must be stopped. Meanwhile, in parts unknown, the ultra-humanite works, plotting, conniving, on how to do away with the one thing standing between him and world domination, Superman. The end. Yay. <laughs> I liked this story. Yeah, it was good. Uh, the splash page, or the splash panel, shows Superman running, running alongside a train. And Superman looks a bit off the Schuster model. And in fact, yes. all the way through the story, there's some... Uh, it's just a little bit off Joe Schuster's uh, normal penciling. But yeah. like I said, it's probably heavy, heavily Cassidy influenced, and he may have actually penciled the whole thing. But it wouldn't be at all surprising to me if Siegel did Siegel if Schuster did at least layouts. Because yeah, he, I also noticed that the uh, at least it seemed to me that his S seemed more prominent this issue than the last issue. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's just uh, they were drawing it a little bigger or. The coloring worked out better it, this time It around. does seem a hair bigger, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the intro was used back in Action Comics number 11, which I covered in episode 14, so I'm not going to reread that. But um, speaking of some differences in the art, there's something new with the lettering this issue, too. Uh, the regular lettering style is smaller and blockier than what we've seen in previous issues. And the uh, the bold lettering, like the uh, stressed words, mm -hmm. it's very, very vertical type. And this is also the first issue with thought balloons. Oh, Inst really? Yeah. Instead of everything being, quote-unquote, said out loud. Mm-hmm. 
in some of the earliest issues, there would be a, a balloon where Superman was saying something, and it would have like a dotted, uh, a dotted line border. So I don't know if that was to in- indicate a thought, or I always took it as like a whisper, like he's talking to yeah. himself. But this is the uh, fir- but either way, this is the first issue with actual traditional thought balloons. So I thought that was kind of uh, interesting just to see the change in that. Well, he's not going to get a sidekick ever, so... Right. And he can't keep talking to himself, so yeah, <laughs> it makes more sense to have him start thinking. Until we get to the radio serial where he talks to himself all the time. Well, yeah. Can't be helped, I guess. Yeah. But um, there's also a lot, of, a lot of text on the art itself, uh-huh. where before it's always been blocked off by caption boxes, so... It just it really stood out that the lettering was different in this issue than previous issues. And do we do we have any idea who's doing the lettering or no, no? I couldn't find any information about that. Ever or just this issue? Because they don't seem to ever Yeah, I that. it's I mean there's been some I you could almost call them apocryphal mentions, but it's kinda of my feeling that the inker would a lot of times just do the lettering. Okay. Be it, you know, Schuster or Cassidy or Loretta or whoever. But yeah, uh, I just have no way of knowing that. Right. At least in the issues I've covered so far, the the credits for this stuff is just it's just all guesswork because right? yep. there were just so many people working on the art stuff that it's just hard to hard to say. And the bigger he gets, the worse it's going to be for a oh, while yeah. anyway. Oh yeah. Um, Until the '60s when it's Always Kurt Swan. <laughs> right. But right. Almost always Kurt Swan. But. Yeah. Uh, but here on the first page, that that's the newspaper strip or the newspaper headline I was thinking of mm. when I subway collapses, scores injured. Injured. Ah, there you go. <laughs> See, you're probably better at a at a wheel of fortune than I am too. <laughs> uh, well, I, mean, I just don't know what else word it could be. I, I was thinking. Yeah, I don't know. Blurred? Scores blurred? Yeah. <laughs> um, we, have an, we have another S on Superman's cape, yeah. and it's more consistently colored here, too. It's all the way through the issue. It's a yellow field with the red S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My question, though, is on page two, why did Superman wait till the guy was beaten to death, or almost <laughs> to death, and left on the tracks for dead before he intervened? Is yeah, he just stand there and watch the two guys <laughs> beat this well, guy? Wanting to make sure that which guy was the villain and which guy wasn't the hero, maybe. I don't know. I, yeah. It just seems to me if you see someone getting beat, you're going to stop it and ask questions later. But Especially if they're outnumbered. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. That wasn't very nice of him. <laughs> but, um, but speaking of guys popping out, I just think it's funny that you know these bad guys pop out and beat up what's his face um the city inspector hughes mm-hmm. and then not two pages later two pages later another guy pops out at superman the uh what was with that the department store detective yeah that like... that was very just a non sequitur it's like he had two more panels to fill so yeah <sighs> but it not only does it not make any sense but also it just was kind of funny like 
you know, they're in the subway and ah, two guys jump out. And then, okay, well, let's go to the roof. Ah, another guy jumps out. It's like, damn. Yeah. Everywhere I go, yeah. someone's jumping out of me. Did he? It looks like he knocks the department the department store detective. Looks like he knocks him off the roof too. Yeah. It doesn't really. It's very ambiguous. Yeah. Right. Um, but that really was just pointless. Yeah. Uh, and on page five, we have another uh, inconsistency with Superman's powers because he's hopping from window to window, looking in the in the windows when he could just mm-hmm. use his X-ray vision. Right. So. Yeah, that that would be a lot easier if he just used his superpowers instead of mm-hmm. jumping from ledge to ledge. But it's kind of funny to see him hanging there on a ledge. To be honest, I mean, <laughs> I'm used to him just floating, you know, fly, flying around, I'm flying. Uh huh. Right. He's like a little super monkey here. Uh, oh, but that one scene, uh, one scene, the panel, when he's jumping from window to window, there's a, they, they make a panel of a of a, a lady going, there's a face in a window, and then the guy's like, nonsense, no one could be looking. Yeah. From a dozen stories up, I like that. That was a nice little touch. As Superman climbs to the next uh, story, yeah. cause you see his foot kind of dangling there in the window. Yeah. That was pretty neat. Page six, uh, Superman pops in the window like Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley. Hello! <laughs> yeah. It's the first Laverne and Shirley reference on the podcast. Yeah. Um, page seven, I got a chuckle out of the scene, though, where they just shove Superman out the window. Yeah. Where do they pun- push him out? I don't... Oh, yeah, you're right, they do. I forgot. Uh, it's panel 51. Okay. Yeah, it's at the bottom of the page there. Yeah. It just doesn't really show them pushing. It just says... <laughs> it's our last chance or something. They're walking up to him with their hands out, and the next yeah. panel you see Superman flying out the window with like a, a question mark. You're like, what? Right, right. Uh, but that made me laugh. But the art isn't very good in the next sequence, though, because you can't really tell what happened. Did he just – did he catch himself on the side of the building, or did he just hang there for a bit, or was it one big fall? He's floating. Floating? Okay. Yeah, he's he's falling slowly. <laughs> falling with style. And the guy he's holding is probably like, you know you can fly, right? It's ridiculous. <laughs> Come on, just fly already. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that's just uh, kind of um, reckless on Superman's part to just <laughs> slam into that that trolley car I guess maybe he didn't have a choice but yeah it says but the force of his fall and a sudden collision causes him to upset a streetcar I just think that shows the danger of his powers that he's yeah or not not his powers but his his actions I mean yeah stop dangling people out the window don't it one one wrong move and you knock over a streetcar oh yeah full of innocent people and women and children and nuns so yeah it looks like neither one of us had a thing to say about page nine (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess not. I like this story. There's just not a lot to say about it, especially the no. really the first half. It's just kind of traditional yeah. Superman stuff. Yeah. But uh, getting to page 10 is when it really picks up because we have a disappearing car, which is more comic booky awesomeness. Yeah, and I suppose he could just uh, – you could argue that he was just following the car to its source, but I was also just wondering – I mean it seemed like he could – invisible car that leaves tracks is <laughs> – Pointless? Uh, it's kind of pointless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like you could just reach out and grab the car, probably. Right, right. You could see its tracks, but yeah. 
And I like how Superman thinks the guys that he's going after are too stupid to make a disappearing car. It yep. must be something more sinister. I, I I read that and I was thinking it'd be really funny if there was a panel like that every time the Ultra Humanite was in a book. <laughs> that would be like the Ultra Human, you know, the gimmick. <laughs> he hires totally inept people to do mundane criminal activity that he's really behind. Yeah. Yeah, and then Superman always has that exact thought. <laughs> you know, wait a minute. I wonder who could it be? Hmm. Electric-powered roller skates. The criminal <laughs> can't do that by himself. We have a panel here. I kind of like it. Superman's sort of holding his cape. Like he's taking it off, and he's just holding it over his arm. Uh-huh. I'm not sure why he would take his cape off, but it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And yeah, if, you're right. You can definitely tell a difference between this art and the last issue's mm-hmm. art. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, a little, I, it's a little less clear as far as things going on. But Yeah. But I never get tired of seeing Superman smash through walls. Nope. Like he does in the last panel of that page. Uh-huh. Uh, before falling into yet another bit of comic book awesomeness as Superman falls into a death trap. Yeah, I like the expression on his face. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he's got a very surprised look. Yeah. Uh, and once again, the ultra humanite, you know, <laughs> it's one up Superman, at least temporarily. Uh huh. It's a pretty lame looking death trap though. Inventive, yeah. inventive machinery wasn't Schuster's strong suit. No, it's just a big yellow box. Yeah. Yeah. With a handle on the side. Right. And it made me wonder, is this, was the entire... You know, um, faulty subway thing. Just some attempt to get Superman to fall into this box, or was it was it just you know there just in case Superman showed up, or I don't know. You never know when a, a superhero is going to try and uh, ruin your plans to make shoddy yeah. the shoddily built subways. So yeah, you got to be prepared right. to take over the world. That's the supervillain motto: always be prepared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or wait, is that the boy? Th- no, I'm pretty yeah, sure it's supervillains. Yeah. But this is totally where George Lucas got the idea for the Han Solo frozen in carbonite. I believe it. Yes. Yep. He was reading Superman comics. Probably was. He was very into adventure stuff as a kid. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, this issue does mark, I guess we've already talked about it, but this issue does mark the return of the ultra humanite, making him Superman's first recurring villain. Yeah. What is it with Golden Age recurring villains where they, you know, recur immediately? <laughs> this issue. Yeah. That's... Uh, it's like no desire to pace this out a little bit, huh? Uh, guess not. Yeah. Uh, but the Ultra Humanite looks somewhat differently in this story, which mm-hmm. probably owes to the different artists like we talked about. Uh, his head is completely bald, where last yep. issue he had a little bit of hair. His He's thinner, and his cheekbones are more gaunt. And his features are more angular, just overall a more sinister look. He seems to be squinting more, too. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, having angry eyes or something. Yeah. And there's this one panel here. It looks like he only has one tooth. Right. And fingernails. Like claws, yeah. Yeah. So he's just uglier, I guess, is yeah. what they're going for. More more, uh, more sinister, like I said. <laughs> but I love this, this second to the last panel on this page where... Uh-huh. He's just going on and on. He's, he's, he alone stood between oh, wait, me and my... Wait. Oh. I was going to read his whole monologue, if that's all right. Okay, go ahead. Okay. 
Behold, my mortal foe imprisoned in crystal, so that I can look upon him and laugh until eternity. When he destroyed my plane, he thought I too had been eliminated, but unknown to Superman, I escaped with a parachute. <laughs> he alone stood between me and my great goal, domination of the earth. Now I can hasten my plans unhampered. <laughs> right. And then his little minion here says, good for you, Ultra. <laughs> What a condescending <laughs> jerk. <laughs> I didn't hire you to be patronizing, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really wished it would have been a little more than just a a parachute. Because <laughs> um, I don't remember seeing a parachute. Well, but. How does a wheelchair... <laughs> how does a wheelchair-bound man escape by parachute anyway? I know. From an right? exploding plane. Shouldn't Superman have noticed... I don't know. Something? You think. You think. And then on the next page, he falls through a trap door. He's yeah. very agile for a handicapped person. Yeah. That's probably all, like, yeah. you know, a gimmick. He's probably not even handicapped. <laughs> um, page uh, 13, we get our first appearance of Clark Kent in this story. Uh, just two panels of Clark. Yeah. And, and I want to apologize, too. We've had no Lois. Uh, well, I guess we had a little one, Superman number one, but in the two action comic stories here, we've had no Lois Lane, so I'm sorry that you didn't get to come on when there was some crazy Lois Lane. Talk about how evil she is. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. I haven't, I haven't been enamored with her so far on the <laughs> show, but well, she's she's a you know uh, traditionally a very hard character to get behind anyway, but yeah, but. uh yeah, they definitely. I was gonna say she's better than. Yet. I was gonna say she's better than Julie Madison, but. Well, she's not more likable. No. Yeah, she's certainly stronger. Our still nameless editor is bald, here when Superman meets with him. So, he's he's always had a full head of hair before. I like his his response to, <laughs> to Clark's. You know, here's an expose. You know, it's going to make the latest edition. His only his only dialogue is, "Where the heck have you been?" Yeah, yeah. Oh, we skipped over the part where he drops off lions in the uh -huh. confession at Hughes's. You had a note about that. Well, I was just wondering what he wanted him to wait for. Yeah. Um, but I guess you're right in your summary. Maybe it's just that he has no idea what the hell Superman's talking about. And... <laughs> Well, he says, here, here's the confession in which Lyons admits having used inferior material to build the subway. You yeah. know what to do. So then he says, so long, the rest is up to you, and he jumps away, and, and you know, he just screams, wait. Yeah. So maybe that was important. So long. <laughs> maybe he just um, wanted his autograph or something. I don't <laughs> and this is the first time that we have seen a villain still at large at the end of the story. All the stories until now have concluded with the villain either captured or dead or reformed. Yeah, so, so in a sense, the ultra-humanite has gotten away twice. Right. Not a sense, or literally has gotten away twice. Um, so he keeps, he's not winning, per se, but he's not losing either. Right. And he does come back. Yep. Not to spoil ahead, um, but... But this panel right before the last panel where the ultra-humanite's going on and on about how he has to kill Superman... Um, we got Clark Kent, I guess, in his apartment, sort of half sleeping, half thinking. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, if it's a coincidence or not, but it reminded me very much of a 
pose in Superman Peace on Earth. Oh now. yeah, where he's sitting there with the shirt open and on the uh-huh. You're right. Kind of hunched over and I don't know if Alex Ross just was paying tribute to that or if it's just the same pose or it could have been coincidence or it could have been him pick, I don't know. That's it. Someone it... someone ask him. I want to know. <laughs> oh. Overall though, the ultra humanite stuff in this story was great. Uh the rest of the story was kind of weak. Just yeah. typical corrupt businessman stuff, just but uh-huh. not a real threat. Uh, I think there's some time weirdness too. How long had that subway been there? Yeah. Was it a new subway tunnel or? Right. That wasn't really clear. Uh, right. That, but I, you know, the subway stuff is kind of a minor point to get to the ultra humanite. So I would have liked well, to. And, s- and what is what is faulty subway tunnels have to do with taking over the world? Also, again. Right. He, he he has bad material on subway tunnels and he tries to take over cab companies. Like this guy is gonna take forever <laughs> taking over the world. He's trying to fly under the radar. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. Way, yeah. way, way under the radar. Under radar. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think I would have liked to have seen more explanation like we talked about that about how he made his escape. Yeah. And how he's getting around so easily. Yep. But I like especially especially the escape. I think they could have come up with something a little more clever. They just than a parachute, a, yeah. They just had an invisible car and well, the they invisible just, car is cool though. No, that's I know very, that's what I'm okay. saying. They, he has an invisible car. And oh, he has okay. A way to dip Superman into crystal or diamond or whatever it was uh-huh. crystal. But then his escape was a parachute, right? As opposed to some sort of invisible technology. Maybe maybe the parachute turned invisible. See, he could have said invisible. <laughs> that would have worked. See, I'm holding it right here in my hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like that he left the ultra humanite at the ultra humanite at large, though, mm-hmm. showing that he's still a threat, rather than leaving it open ended again. You know, is he alive or is he dead? Right. Right. Superman's officially got a villain now. Yep. There's a reason to to buy the next issue. Right. Although he doesn't appear in the next issue, but... No, but he might. <laughs> the final panel of the story is an ad advertising Superman number one. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, uh, here it is, boys and girls, the big, complete Superman book. You want, you'll want to keep 64 pages all in color of Superman's daring exploits. But like you were saying before, it doesn't actually say number one anywhere. Right. It just says so. the big, complete Superman book. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know I I never really noticed it before I was looking through them for the podcast here but and it could have been that they just planned on doing the the one time deal and if it didn't sell well they you know they wouldn't be out yeah or you know once or, a year or something right. like that collect right. his last issues mm-hmm. this uh this issue has been reprinted in the Action Comics Archives Volume One Superman in the Forties trade paperback. And Superman Chronicles Volume Two. I don't think I mentioned where the Superman stuff had been reprinted. Superman Number One. Um, so I'll go ahead and do that now. There's lots of places that the individual stories have been reprinted or that origin, but there are a few places where you can get the entire issue, and those are Famous First Edition C61, which was a tabloid-sized reprint of the book. Then there's Superman Archives Volume 1, the Superman Number 1 Millennium Edition, which reprints the whole thing cover to cover, 
and then Superman Chronicles Volume 1. But to get back to Action Comics number 14, there's a few other features and ads in it that I thought I'd mention. The inside front cover has a line that says, Don't fail to read the thrilling and daring deeds of the Batman every month in Detective Comics. So we're getting another, right. another plug for the Dark Knight. And then listen to the podcast that talks about those thrilling. Right. Yes, they didn't put that in there, though, unfortunately. Oh. Bummer. We then have a one-page color ad for the Superman of America Club, which is the same ad that was in Superman number one, but shrunk down to one page. We have the normal features of Pet Morgan, Marco Polo, Tex Thompson, Chuck Dawson, and Zaytara, along with a new feature starting this issue that replaces Scoop Scanlon, and that is Clip Carson's Soldier of Fortune, drawn by Bob Kane and probably written by an uncredited, as usual, Bill Finger. Clip Carson is a knockoff of an Alex Raymond strip called Jungle Jim, basically just a jungle hunter and world adventurer. Finger and Kane do six or seven issues, and then it gets handed off to Sheldon Moldoff and other artists after that. But he'll be around in Action Comics for a couple years. So get used to hearing that name. Yep. Also out in June 1939 was Action Comics number 15, which I'm going to be looking at in episode 23. So I will cover the rest of the books from this month in that episode. Sounds good. Come on, I have an idea that Batman should look into this. And don't forget Robin! That does it for another episode. Uh, I thank you very much, Mr. Kaiser, for coming on the show. It's been thank you very much been a blast. Yeah. I wanted to ask: Do you think it was it when you did your summary? Was it e- easier to summarize the Jerry Siegel stories or the Finger Fox stories that we've covered to this point? Uh, I would say uh, Siegel and Finger are pretty much even, and Gardner Fox is out of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> And, and really hard to summarize sometimes. He's, he's bat crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of – I really haven't noticed any difference either. Uh, yeah. I, I wondered about that when I first started the Batman – when we first started the Batman show, if it would be easier or more difficult to summarize one or the other. But I really haven't noticed much difference. Yeah. Uh, but uh, why don't you tell them where they can find your – remind them where they can find your podcasts and how they can okay, get a hold well, of you if I... they want to. I uh, 
co-host a podcast with you, as we both know, called uh, Legends of the Batman, and you can find that at batmanlegends.com. And I also started a Captain America podcast called The Mighty Shield, which you can find at themightyshield.com. And I'm also on Facebook. Um, just search my name. I'm sure I'll come up somewhere. And happy to friend you there, too. And that's about it for me online. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. Next episode, I'll be by myself again, most likely, and I'll be looking at the sixth storyline from the Superman Daily Newspaper strip, which is called The Most Deadly Weapon. Comments or feedback, uh, feel free to email me at thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com. You can also stop by the website at www.greatcrypton.com, where you'll find show notes for this and all episodes, and I'll put links to Mike's show's in the, the show notes for this episode, though they're both on the side rail if that's easier for you to click on. At the site, you'll also find the links to the show's Facebook page, the RSS feed, and the iTunes link. The Thrilling Adventures of Superman is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at supermanpodcastnetwork.com, home to many great Superman-related podcasts and vidcasts. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thanks again for listening to the Thrilling Adventures of Superman, everyone, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye. my story in it yes sir oh okay i sure hope so <laughs> no you were supposed to do this one too didn't didn't you get the me- email uh, i feel like i've been talking a lot but i guess it is my show so i should be doing more yeah, talking exactly it's, it's much uh, easier just to be a guest host <laughs>